0: Let's crack open a beer and share some thoughts.
1: Welcome to Opinions, and we're on location again. And it's even a slightly different location to the usual location. I know
0: this is this is kind of a new element to yeah. our London studio. We are
1: we are what is known in my uh, office as the reading room.
0: Oh very nice, very nice. And Sounds uh, good doesn't it? Yeah I'm just going to let people make their own picture yeah. of, of, of what that looks like and we're not alone. Uh, no. We are joined by James Calder from SIBA. James, welcome to Opinions. Thank you guys, pleasure um, to be here. Thank, thank you so much for coming along. And you've actually bought this first beer for us as well. We have, yeah. This
2: evening, so do you want to um, introduce the beer, what we've got here? Sure, so this is Colonel's Damson Saison. Uh, we had this at the Michelin uh, launch that we had a couple of weeks ago that I think we're going to be talking about a little bit later on. It's just—it's so fruity, it's so zesty, it's lovely, it's great. I mean, look at the colour on that, it amazing looks, colour.
0: It looks like a fruit smoothie.
1: It does look like a it fruit does. smoothie. Yeah, uh, I think without further ado, then let's uh, let's first try first it. Get, yeah. In. Yeah. Let's get in. Cheers.
2: Cheers. The damson Ooh. really just comes through, oh, doesn't it? The nose it? on that. I mean, damson is quite a traditional fruit to put in beer, but I haven't had one as good as this in a very long time.
1: I'm not sure I've had dams and outside of the kernel. No? No.
2: To be, now you mention it, I'm trying to think of who else has put it. I've homebrewed with it a couple of times, but... I've had a couple of mates who've homebrewed with it, but...
0: I like that. Which is probably kind of come as a surprise for a, lot, it's, for a lot of people. It's quite a sharp. It's 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 a saison and it's got sharp fruit in it. The, sh- the fruit is very sharp, I think. it? I, I think the two elements are balancing really out with with, with one another. So you've you've got that kind of saison characteristic going on in there, but then that fruit is adding adding like a tart ziness to it, and and it's just lifting the whole thing, and it's just balancing it out. And it's it's literally like drinking. Almost like dams and Tango. It doesn't, yeah, well, there's no,
1: it doesn't really, it's not, and it's not giving you any, it's not giving me any sort of hint of alcohol. No, none it, none whatsoever. But it does taste, thank you very much. Yeah. I'm not sure
2: Evan would appreciate damson Tango. No, you know. I'm, <laughs> fortunately,
1: fortunately, I'm pretty certain <laughs> he's, he's not, not a listener he's, he's not a yeah. listener yeah. <laughs> and if he was yeah. you'd never know would you
2: <laughs> but nevertheless it still was quite a good
0: description actually uh, that's, what, oh, that's what I'm trying to get to is it's, it's it's really fruity and, and yeah, that, yeah, no, that but really quite, comes that,
1: through that, that, although in the glass you might not think it has got too much of that spritzy zinginess going on once you once you taste it the, the bubbles are really quite fine actually Yeah. it almost feels like maybe if they'd used champagne yeast or something in it mm. well with if-
2: uh, I'm trying to think now. It was one of the other beers that we had at the Michelin Foundation that was that had champagne yeast in it. I think it was one of the ones made by Roland Cannell at um, Brentwood. Uh, yeah, the that's uh, beer as well. Yeah,
1: we've had that before, haven't we? Yeah, the
2: Van Van yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had that. I should have brought a bottle of that. Sorry, guys.
0: That's right. Apparently, <laughs> the
1: um, to one of our our friends. Apparently, it's not. It's never tasted any better. The one he had recently, which is five years old, he said it's not tasting any better than that.
0: No. So, so he was massively impressed. Put a bit of an age on it in terms of when... Yeah, it's but we had it
1: spot. a couple of years ago at Bollshare, and it was tasting good then. remember commenting on it. Yeah. Very nice. No, thank you. That's a, it's a nice start to the show. It is a great
0: start to the show. Thank
1: so um, while we enjoy this,
0: James, we're going to get you to talk about you
1: okay.
2: uh,
0: a little bit. So you are uh, Chief Exec uh, at SEBA, yeah. uh, a role which you took up... Four, four months ago. Four months ago. Four, four months, months ago, so still early days. Yeah. Um, so for, for our listeners that don't know. Um, do you want to give us a little bit of a, a background into what what,
2: what is SIBA? Sure. So SIBA is the Society of Independent Brewers. Um, many uh, astute listeners will realise that the Society of Independent Brewers doesn't match up to the letters S-I-B-A. That's because SIBA used to be the Small Independent Brewers Association and it changed its name ooh, uh, about six, seven, eight years ago, something like that. But we, we kept the, the name because that's what we had on the URL and all the business cards and all that kind of stuff. SIBA represents about 760, 770 small independent brewers in the UK, predominantly small. Um, about 50% of our membership is below 1,000 hectolitres. Uh, and on top of your, your guide here, you've got a very helpful <laughs> helpful guide of what a hectolitre is. So for the benefit of our listeners, one hectolitre is about 100 litres or 176 pints. So most of our members are very small. Uh, and about, golly, about 85, 86% are below 5,000 hectolitres. So, so these are, generally speaking, quite small outfits. Um, but our membership goes all the way up to m- breweries much, much bigger than that, but mm-hmm. they are in the minority. So what would you say is um, the, the biggest brewery that's, that, that's a member of Sydney? Uh, somebody like Adams probably is one of okay. our biggest. Um, We were just talking about Adnams uh, before we we kind of got started, but predominantly we we exist to do, in my mind at least, three things. We exist to fight for brewers on the issues that really matter. We exist to deliver real genuine benefits, so that might be joint purchase, it might be lobbying, it might be market access, it could be any number of things on, on the list. But we also exist to kind of give brewers a place that they can get together and talk about the things that they really care about. It it should and is you know a community of brewers who all care about the same things, which is the beer, the people, and the independence.
0: In terms of you coming into the role, you say you, you you've been in, in in position for four months now. Um, where where were you before that? Were you involved in the beer industry before that? Have you always been involved in beer? What's what's kind of your
2: personal my personal story, Guy. Gotcha. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I've always been interested in beer. Um, prior to being appointed chief executive, I was leading Seba's lobbying efforts. So, I was head of public affairs for about two and a half years. Before that, I was working just around the corner from this very clandestine location in the city of London. <laughs> uh, I was working at the Institute of Chartered Accountants. So, I, I always say uh, I went from grey suits, grey hair, grey men in ivory towers to Bearded men in boiler suits in sheds—it's a bit, bit of a <laughs> bit of a change. Um, before that, I was in kind of hired gun uh, agency lobbying, and before that, I did a bit of stuff in Parliament and with a few MPs. Um, I've always been interested in beer. People talk about their gateway beer, and mine was probably drinking a pint of Brains when I was about sixteen in my local pub, the Owen in the middle of nowhere. And we we behaved ourselves; we didn't cause any trouble. But that's kind of how I how I got started.
0: And I think you mentioned earlier as well that you've, um, as as we were tasting this, you said something about you've used Amson in homebrew. so you're a keen homebrewer, is it still something you get an opportunity to do now? Yeah,
2: I I try and find the time, I've got a little 23 litre kit, which is how a lot of small independent brewers start, Um, I'm brewing less now than I was uh, in my previous job, that's for sure, but I try and keep, you know, I try and keep the interest and keep my, um, try and get my fingers, my hands dirty every now and again. Mm takes a bit takes up a Saturday. (laughs) Yeah, a a lot of people that we speak to that homebrew
0: do say it does. You can lose an entire weekend to it sometimes.
1: You're wondering what you know. Have you got any other family responsibilities? How that sort of fits in sometimes. It just flies. Yes, that's gone. it's (laughs) Sometimes (laughs)
0: deliberate to get away from your (laughs) family responsibilities. Uh, That's why you start homebrewing. So obviously, Siba is is one of. A few organisations in the UK that yep. are, are, are representative of beer and the brewing industry. Where where would you say you fit into that UK landscape? Because obviously you, you've got CAMRA, yep. probably the biggest body, yep. you, you know, membership-wise, and, and and represent the interests of, I suppose, the drinkers mm. ra- rather than and, and pubs. More so than the, the brewers themselves, where where does
2: SIBA fit in the the UK beery landscape? Sure. So there's a bit of an alphabet soup of, uh, of bodies out there. So if Camera is to drinkers, SIBA is quite simply to small independent brewers. The other two kind of big ones out there are the BBPA and the UK Hospitality, which is a relatively new body that formed as a result of two others merging. Um, BBPA tend to represent the larger brewers and the larger pub companies. And UK hospitality, again, have a slightly different spin, so they tend to be restaurants, hotel chains, hospitality, uh, kind of the broad, hoika uh, kind of sector. But we're very, very clear, you know, SIBA is about small brewers predominantly, but independence through and through. Mm-hmm.
0: And those those other organisations that you mention, y- you must all work together yeah. somehow. You must, you know, must, I, I kind of envision a bit of a jigsaw in terms of who fits where and how you'll work together. Yeah. Do, do you often sort of almost get around the table and, and, and yeah, talk yeah. about what you need to do for the betterment of the industry? Sure.
2: Your, your brewers, uh, your, well, listeners who are brewers, but listeners more broadly might not know that we have something called the One Voice Group. So there's lots of things that those uh, our organisations agree on, just as many as the things that we don't agree on. So, on, for example, we've got the budget coming up on probably the 6th of November. All of those bodies in the entire entire beer industry is united in that we pay far too much beer duty as an industry. We pay more than basically any European country out there, I think only Ireland are slightly higher. Um, So beer duty is is obviously far too high, we all agree on that. The headline rate of duty, I think the latest statistic was we we pay 40% of all of Europe's beer duty but we only drink 12% of the beer. Um, Beer duty is way, way too high so the entire industry agrees on that. And business rates, Um, business rates are a huge burden for pubs, for brewers, for tap rooms, um, and all of those costs inevitably need to get paid by somebody and get passed on. The, the statistic, I think, is, is, again, the most recent is that uh, pubs uh, account for uh, only 0.5% of UK business turnover, but they pay 2.8% of all UK business rates. It's an overpayment of about half a billion quid a year. So when we've got pub closures, when we've got you know, pubs shutting down, people losing their livelihoods, communities losing uh, their hubs, That's because largely due to the fact that they're overpaying by half a billion pound collectively every year. It's nuts. So there's lots of things that we don't agree on, but where we do, we do get together and we talk to government and we talk to each other um, to try and make a difference.
1: Mm -hmm. I love the idea of the one voice. It's a good idea. Yeah. Because like you say, there's plenty of times when you're not going to agree with each other, but when you do, definitely pooling the skills, the resources, the knowledge, and presenting a united front Mm -hmm. to those that matter. It yeah. can, can only be a good thing, can't it?
2: Yeah, we know that through practice. You know, the, the last time we got a freeze, we're hoping for either a freeze or a cut in beer duty this time around. But when the Chancellor sees a letter with all of those bodies up across the top and he realises that, you know, we represent 2-3 million jobs in the UK and all of that money that's coming straight to the Treasury, all of that wealth that we're trying to create, um, it definitely has an impact. Well, 2-3 million voters. Yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: But until you said it now, I'd never heard of it. No, no, me either. Because me, me either. obviously when uh camera, camera on the front of what's brewing, if there is any sort of beer freeze, we'll trumpet the lobbying and stuff. But I think it would be really good if one of the organisations or all of the organisations said, we did this together.
0: Yeah. So let's get into the news. Uh, we've got a few things that we need to chat about this week. First up, uh, we've got Fuller's um, have announced that they're in advanced talks over a £40 million deal. For Cotswold-based inns and hotels businesses. Now, this is um, obviously since their um, takeover by Asahi, they split into two distinct businesses, didn't they? They've yeah. got their their, their their pubs and hotels branch, and they've got their, their their brewing business. Yeah. So, so this is obviously the the, the, the pubs and hotels. Well, this is what's left of Fuller, isn't it? Yeah. This is what's left of it. Um, but they're looking to. Um, work with or, or buy from Cotswold Inns and Hotels who operate seven hotels and two bars uh, Utopia Bar and Churchill's Bar both based in Birmingham plus a whole range of hotels uh, across the country which would boost Fuller's bedroom stock by around 200 rooms and the deal would, re- would represent the first acquisition of the business since it sold its brewing operation to As- Asahi for 250 million so this is, um, this is
1: some interesting news in terms of where Fuller's are clearly now Going with their business, I think this is where they're always going to go. So when they first announced it, they what do they say? About eighty-seven percent of their income and their operating profit came from the pubs and hotels business. They've been doing up some of the some of the pub hotels in and around the city, like um, the, the one at Cornhill. They've been doing that one up. That's now got a boutique hotel. Um, not the cheapest. <laughs> I have to admit, even when they had their opening offer, wasn't the cheapest one. But I think they, this is where they saw the value. They've moved completely away from the beer producing business. So you want to sell your beer in more places, and you want people to have a boutique hotel slash pub experience. It, ma- it moves their footprint as well, doesn't it? Yeah. As well. So you're going a bit up the country. I, I don't think this is a surprise. I think the only thing that surprised me is perhaps it took a bit longer than may, maybe I would thought. You think this would have happened quicker? Potentially, but I guess maybe that it's the right it's the right deal for them. Is where they can get themselves in, isn't it? Yeah, they need they need the right deals to come up, but they obviously had the money and the opportunity to do it. So yeah, I'm I'm not surprised.
0: And just you think we'll see more of this sort of thing?
1: I think if the right mm-hmm. opportunity comes up, yes, because I think this is where they see the value. Mm-hmm. This is where they see the money coming in, and you know, whatever their agreement will be with Asahi, the beer ain't going to run out anytime soon. And presumably, the Fuller's pubs will also sell. Asahi branded lager as well. There's probably some arrangement in the background but we don't know of.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they did talk about the strategic partnership when the, fir- when the, the announcement was made. So that it was a really, really long press release that went on London Stock Exchange and was posted. I, I suppose the strategic partnership is, yes, sell more of Fuller's beer into those kind of estates. I, I guess for us and for our members, like I said at the time, it, it's concerning when something like that happens, as it is with Green King, the most recent one, how much of our members' beer will still be able to be getting into those pubs, and is Asahi beer pushing my members' beer off those bars? Yeah. Um, it's probably too early to call, but at this stage, you know, it'd be... Well, we need to find that out.
1: I mean, I would say with the... That, I mean, it's, I think it's an excellent point, but I'd say, with, say, like, the, the Fuller's pubs, certainly the ones which I have the most contact with, which are in and around the city, I don't actually see that many independent beers in there anyway.
2: No. I mean, I live in south-east London, I've got a couple of Fuller's pubs near me, and, you know, I can only comment what's near me, and I can only comment on my impression because I haven't got the, the data in front of me, but I've seen fewer independent breweries since the buyout uh, on those bars than, than I did previously, don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Fuller's and Friends are probably the closest I've seen when they've done those iterations, whether it be the cable cast versions or the bottles in the fridge. But the, the couple of ones beside here, they'll have something from Darkstar on, but they own Dark Star in the, in the first place, anyway, so it's still part of that. A Fuller's at Brand, uh, Beaver Town, Neckle or Gamberay will be next door, uh, Orchard Ciders, so, and then they already had Asahi Lager, Asahi Lager in anyway. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think this is a good point well made because I have seen more guest cast beers in Green King pubs in the past mm. than I have in Fuller's pubs anyway.
2: I mean, you, you raised the kind of the big spectre, but, you know, looking at pubs, pubs in London in particular in the South East, those that used to have independent beer on the bars that have now either got Camden Hills, Beavertown, Brixton, or some combination of all yeah. three, I, I've started to notice that. I don't know if your listeners have also started to notice that, but those guys between them now are probably brewing, what, 3% of UK beer total? Or will be very soon? I have
1: started to notice it. I, I'll be honest, the the guest bit that a lot of the beers that were on offer uh, close to me here where we are in our clandestine reading room with the <laughs> clocks um, they weren't always the best ones anyway so the fact that Gamma Rare Neck has turned up I don't mind pub near me um, locally has, hasn't replaced anything they just have an extra, large, an extra keg font on there which happens to be Beaver Town Neck as well in addition to their Cask range and their other beers as well so, but I, I, again, I take your point. I think I think the point was made by someone else. It's, it's tap space, isn't it? Yeah. it? It's route to market. It is. Is that route to market going to be squeezed because people like Fuller's and now Green King, who had is it about 2,000 pubs, there thereabouts, as a ballpark figure, and if that gets squeezed on them as well, that's a, that's a lot of outlets which suddenly aren't taking... Mm those beers.
2: Yeah. I mean, get, getting back to the to the headline, I mean, it's totally understandable why Fuller's and Simon Emily's team have done this because the margin on hotel business and hospitality business is significantly more than on beer business. Um, even if you're brewing at a scale like Fuller's are and were, it's still hard to make money out of selling beer, even if you're still selling it into your own estate. And um, I think what that's like for the small guys who I represent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I was quite shocked when they did. I, I read a lot of the statement, but so little of their operating profit was from the actual beer. And yet, like you say, they're making the beer on their own site, most of their beer was going into their own pubs, and a lot of those pubs were, mileage-wise, quite a short distance away from the brewery as well, and they still couldn't turn what they considered to be a decent profit. So it's totally understandable. Um, yeah, it makes you wonder why people go going to beer. <laughs>
0: exactly. And it's quite a nice segue into the next news story as well, um, which is uh, Brewdog have announced that they've um, lost money this year as, as well. So they've, their bar division um, has made a pre-tax loss of £235,000 in 2018, which is up uh, 45000 since 2017 um, as the business continues to grow and invest. Um, certainly in the last 12 months, they've opened 12 new bars in, in 2018. Um, Eight so far in 2019, several more planned. Um, They're obviously looking at their losses increasing. So uh, James Watt said that the key risk to their business is increased competition with the growing prominence of the craft beer market. And to mitigate this, we continue to look for opportunities and innovative ways to bring our beer to the wider public. I, I was quite surprised when I first read this story. I would have thought with the amount of bars and outlets and the fact that they're in every supermarket, corner shop, Airport. Train. Train, mm. everywhere, um, but I guess this is this is their, 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 their again, it's in, similar to, to the Fuller's, this is their their, their bar business, yeah. it's, it's their bar but they business. But they've also, money.
1: didn't they have to close one or two in the last they've, couple of years? I think they've
0: closed, they're, they're, they have the constant issue with the one, is it the one up at Angel? Yeah. That, that keeps opening and closing and opening and closing. So if
1: you're having to, that, that's got to cost you money as well. Yeah. And they do have a bit of a, a template for how they lay lay out their bars and how they present them. I mean, we've been down to the one at Tower Hill, where that building is, that could not have been cheap. No, it's, it's prime real estate, isn't it? It's prime real yeah. estate, so they rent, even with a deal, an initial deal, that's got to be expensive because there's a massive amount of square meterage there, but also the fact that a brewery kit went in. Yeah, and and, and
0: and the cost of the brewery ingredients that are going in to, 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 to brew yeah. the beer there as well. I mean, well.
1: all right, no company ever wants to make a loss, but, Brudok two hundred and thirty five thousand pound loss has been a bit of an increase with the amount of bars they're still opening because it takes a while to turn that bar being open into a profit, doesn't it? Mm,
2: yeah. So I don't, I don't think you mentioned they bought Draft House as well. Yes, yeah, Draft House has a site directly around the corner from the one in Tower Hill. which yeah. is competing with itself.
1: It's, it's a bizarre one as well because generally, when I've if I go to one, I will often pop into the other because the Draft House will have like some cask on or something. But I know which one is always busier. Yeah, and it's yeah. definitely the BrewDog BrewDog bar rather than the Draft House in Maine now.
2: That's top bit of consumer advice, guys. If uh, if there's a Draft House and a BrewDog bar next to each other, always go to the Draft House.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely quieter when I went in there. It was quicker to get served. But um, Brew, I mean, although to be fair to BrewDog, you know, they're always very, bar staff. Are always very good in my I know. experience.
2: And they train Cicerone.
1: Yeah. yeah, I personally, I don't see that as a as a massive hit for BrewDog. It's not for me. It's not really a headline, apart from the fact that. BrewDog have lost money after about 12 years of not losing yeah. any.
2: If, yeah. if they're still growing and they're still opening new sites, a loss like this, you, you know, it, it's part of the, it's part of the of what, what running a business yeah. and opening yeah. ones is like.
0: You know? Yeah. So while we're talking about breweries growing, um, lost and grounded, um, have announced that they're now, um, starting the process of installing some new tanks. So when we went down to visit last Christmas, yep. uh, beautiful warehouse, where where Lost and Grounded is based, uh, which was only kind of half full of, of
1: brewing equipment, probably, with lots
0: of room ready to expand. Which was their plan. Yeah, because
1: we had, they gave us a really good talk as well too, and a talk, and even before someone had asked a question, they made that point about saying about they built they bought that place for a reason.
0: Yeah. So they've had, they've had a new floor going and they've got, uh, as of last week, uh, they had new tanks going in as, as, as well, which uh, as we recalled, um, they should now be starting to be fitted and uh, I, I assume within the next few weeks, months, we'll start seeing those tanks operational and Lost and Grounded's input increasing even, even further.
1: I can't see that as being a bad thing.
0: It's pro- probably to keep up with demand from supermarkets.
1: Well, they have gone into supermarkets and they've been doing a few collabs for the supermarkets as well, haven't they? So, yeah. and people do genuinely love their beers, especially especially the Kellerpils.
2: Yeah, Kellerpils for everybody. Kellerpils Cal- Cal- <laughs> Cal- Cal- in Waitrose for correct me if I'm wrong. It's been like, two, it's not that much. Like two pounds. A or something. Yeah, Is it's it? it's not it's not expensive. I mean, it's not three five, but it's still the best Lager you can get in a supermarket by a long way. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah and it's but it, I so far. I haven't personally met anyone who's got a bad word to say about Kellep Even Even when you say, not really a large drinker. Do you like Kellep Pills though?
2: More Kellep in more people's hands is no bad
1: thing. No. No, and you know, they, they genuinely looked after us last year as well. Yeah. When we went down there to do the Crimbo Crawl thing, on, that was our first stop. They looked after us for what, two and a half hours? Italy, yeah, yeah. Um, and
0: Alex and Annie both gave up their time to, to talk to us as well. And, well, they, they weren't open
1: they yeah. only open because we we said we'd go there. You yeah. so know. Good luck to them.
0: Abs- absolutely, without a doubt. Um, so before we go on to the last news story, yep. we're we're all approaching uh, the end. Of, approached. Or well, approached. Yeah, <laughs> one of us says we um, We've all approached the end of the the kernels. Bams uh, and, Dams and Saison. Yeah. Um,
1: final
2: thoughts
1: on the beer final thoughts is I want to know why James didn't bring three 750ml bottles
2: <laughs> for, us <laughs> because, to, for us to drink because, <laughs> because those Mission Star Chefs that we had last week were all very thirsty as
1: well damn them um, it's, it's a beautiful beer I mean it would come as no surprise to any of our listeners that you know, we're kernel fans and generally it's a C see kernel by kernel type of policy that we, we use don't often get the opportunity to, to get hold of some of this sometimes um, it's just a really nice beer I mean it probably doesn't quite complement the weather, where on recording day with the, the heavy rain and the grey skies and no. the night's drawing in, but you know, it's still a lovely beer, but cut chilled on a summer's day. Oh, that would be perfect. Sitting outside. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be sharing it.
0: No, no, even, even I, th- I think even I could manage the 750ml bottle yeah, of I've my been, own.
1: That sharpness, of the, of, of that. that sharpness started to die off as well, I think, once you got into it. I, wasn't, I was just noticing the fruit.
2: Yeah. As, as a Brewing Trade Association representative, I should say, please drink responsibly. <laughs> noted. <laughs> yes. No, e- ev- everything in moderation, especially moderation. Yeah. <laughs> especially <laughs> <kind of laughs> but,
0: but James, you say this went down quite well at the, the, the event that, that you recently hosted. Yeah. Should I give a bit of background? Yeah. I mean, it, it does tie in quite nicely to, to, to the last news story. So, 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 so let's do the news story quickly, which was essentially that two new pubs have gained Michelin stars um, with, with no pubs that had them, losing them. So th- there's been an increase overall in the number of pubs that have now got Mission in Stars. Um, and this was... Uh, so this is uh, a, the Angel in Hetton yep. in North Yorkshire and the Royal Oak in Watcote in shipston on stour Warwickshire. Of each gained one star. Now, this was a uh, an event that was hosted recently and as part of that event, Siba were involved in having a bar and yeah. recommending beers from from your members to the chefs um as possibly a, 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 an alternative to
2: a wine menu yeah um so quite an exciting one for us um we got approached about six months ago by the michelin foundation which of course give uh, their stars out every year to uh UK and Ireland chefs, but also other countries around Europe and around the world as well. Um, The the kind of proposition was really simple, really, which was um, Michelin star chefs have come to us and they've said they want something a little bit different. Um, They don't just want uh, the choice of wine pairings on their menus. They would like to have some beer as well. And Siba is an organisation that, you know, has a a large kind of reach into the UK brewing scene. Could you help us? Could you help us source some some beers that could go really well with, you know, a fish course or a main course or a dessert or petty fours or or whatever? And we helped them do that. So we had an absolutely amazing selection of, I think it was 24 beers across uh, a number of different ABV ranges, including low ABV, gluten-free and kind of taste profiles as well that we were essentially trying to sell into these chefs and convince them that if you're a new Michelin star chef, you're fresh, if you want to do something a bit different, maybe you should consider putting a beer pairing on your menu as opposed to a wine pairing. And how, did that, how was that received? Great. I mean, absolutely great. We, we were really thankful. We had Melissa Cole, uh, famous kind of beer food matching sommelier. She was absolutely wonderful. She helped us out on the night. Um, and all of the chefs really got it. You know, uh, especially the guys in uh, those those nineteen pubs, and I think the two that got new Michelin stars this year, they got it. But the really sort of French fine dining guys, who you would assume would be really against having beer in their restaurants, they got it too because they're after something a bit different as well. And you know, pairing a saison with fish, or pairing a you know a, a Hawkshead Brewery tiramisu with you know a dessert. It, they got that, they completely understood. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're just about to pour one of the beers that we had, that we used as a bit of a, uh, a champagne substitute, although champagne substitute, again, is very very unreasonable. So
1: we've got the uh, Burning Sky Cuvée 2018, and I believe this was their, the welcome drink? Yeah. Reception drink?
2: This was the welcome drink.
1: So, I mean, it does, uh, we've, at my work beer tasting, we've done something similar, where we've used this kind of beer to illustrate that. And we've, we've put them in the champagne fruits as well. Did you do something? Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely. Just to start challenging people's perceptions of, you know, what something could be—a bit different. Um So I have tried this one before. Have you, Steve? I don't think so. You no. probably wouldn't go for it normally, would you? And,
0: unless it's unless it's been bought to bottle share, um, it's unlikely that it's a sort of beer that I would have actually bought mm-hmm. and drunk. Um So this would be this would be a first for me.
1: Right. Oh, so we. Uh,
0: yeah.
2: See what we've And Cheers.
0: James, you brought this along again. Thank yes, you so for thank uh, you. for bringing this no, along. It's a pleasure.
2: Thank you to Burning Sky. Yeah.
1: Everyone's patiently waiting for Steve's <laughs> view it's on that.
0: nice and dry on the finish. It's lovely. It's really dry on the finish. It's nice and it's nice and fizzy. It's got really like really tight bubbles. So, so like like you'd associate with champagne. With, with yeah. Um, it's for me. It's kind of like quite sherbety, quite lemon orange sherbety yeah. flavours going on in there. Um, but yeah, I could, you, you know, you could see being presented with this as a welcome drink, and absolutely people being blown away by oh, what's going on in there. There's uh, there's so much going on in there. Yeah,
1: and again, and this is the thing I try to do with the work thing. Not dissimilar to what you're trying to do. This just try and challenge people's perception. So one of my biggest challenges at work two biggest challenges at work is getting people to come along who aren't beer drinkers and getting a few more of the of the women to come along as well because it's that often the, the answer they always give me don't like beer I said no I'm sorry you may not like the beers you've had to date but a lot of the beers that you will see at my work beer tastings won't be the beers you've had to date absolutely you may well then come out and still say actually no I still don't like those but you would have a had a, a wider experience to at least fall back on, rather than maybe what a lot of people may have tried, which is either maybe something warm at the wrong time or something macro which was just a bit dull,
2: or 25 years of bad male-centric advertising,
1: that as well. So you know, presenting something like this as a welcome drink, as a, as the starter too, you know, and we've got the beer menu. In front of us, and just a couple of, couple of ones on there. We did, I think we mentioned a few last time. Yeah, we, when we, we had Ian it on there, to Ian, didn't we? Yeah. But, you know, in the dark and intense bit of the beer menu, the beer menu is lovely actually, you may have to post a picture of this. Um, dark, intense, green jack, Baltic trader, and then a lovely description, imperial style, richly Venice flavors of coffee and vanilla, 10.5%. And you're presenting that as something for someone to try who would not have had those kind of beers. Even thought about having those kind of beers in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think mean, it's a great way, it's a great way of doing it. This the menu is a is really nicely put together into its little little sections actually.
2: That's that, I mean that's a credit to Neil, uh, who works with Seba and Melissa who who put that together. I mean, I, I do kind of want to have a bit of a disclaimer on this actually, because you know, your Michelin style restaurant is not accessible to everybody. Um, you know, I've got a council house, so it's not kind of you know, it's beyond my wildest dreams. So part being part of this event was really, really exciting. What we're doing is we're, we're not kind of abandoning that cheeky pint of Cascale on a, on a Tuesday night or a Friday evening or whatever in favour of something like this. This is just about challenging those perceptions that beer and particularly independent craft beer can be suitable for all occasions, all settings and all people. Um, yeah,
1: but if you get if you get Mitchell and Star restaurants, whether they be standalone restaurants or part of the pub, involved, then there is the possibility of a cascade effect, yeah, trickle-down. Sure. Yeah.
2: Uh, that was the whole point, you know. If you can get those Michelin star guys and girls interested in putting this kind of beer on their menus, it cascades down to your gastro pub, your kind of second, third tier. Yeah. But the places that people go, it's a new market for, for our members where they don't have their beer in these places currently where they'd love to. Yeah. Because, you know what, it's a new set of people and the margin's pretty good as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's great. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued. So, obviously, at, at the event, did you also
0: have... Brewery representatives, or were 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 SIBA the
2: representative of those breweries? SIBA were the representative of those breweries, so they were pretty tight on us in terms of the numbers that we could have. Mm-hmm. So Melissa Cole, as I said, helped us out and kind of led our, our bar team. Uh, but we had a team of I think it was three or four uh, guys that we hired in who've all had previous experience at SIBA events and at other beer events, and they were kind of fully briefed on all of these beers. Everybody had a taste, uh, and they were kind of set up to be able to to sell the message to these uh, chefs and sommeliers that the kind of stuff that we had on our menu, like I say, could be used as a substitute and sometimes even better than a substitute mm-hmm. when you're looking at pairing it with you know, fish or lamb or whatever it may be. Yeah.
0: So is the hope now that those that those chefs, the owners of those establishments will now go away and contact the breweries and say yeah. how, how do we work with you, how do, how, how do we bring your beers into our
2: establishment and how do we make sure we get the right beers to go with the right dishes? Sure. We, we made a, a big list of all of those chefs and got their names, got their uh, business cards and made a, a list of what beers they tried and what beers they were interested in and what they asked about, so we can then pass that on to the brewers themselves who can follow up if need be. Um, it, it's as much about those kind of 24 on the menu and those maybe you know, 150 chefs that we had conversations with of the 500 that were there, but it's also about changing perceptions at that level. Um, somebody may have come along and had a beer and not really spoken to us, but if they go away and think, oh, I've got a brewery down the road and I've had their beer in such and such, my bottle shop, I could put that on my menu next week and it could be something, you know, that's what it's about mm-hmm. as well. Um, and I should mention as well, you know, we're, we're going to look at doing this again next year, um, but we're not abandoning the heartlands of a pint of Cascale on a Tuesday evening, you know.
0: <laughs> I, I, no, but I, yeah, no, I, I, I think... don't think for a minute you are. I think what, what it's showing is it's, it, it's showing how wide-ranging beer can be. How wide-ranging it's become as well. Yeah, Yeah. that you can pitch it at the high end of of, of dining. The best of the best. And also, your your, your cheeky Tuesday night pint at your local. That's that's what, and everything in between. That's good,
2: that's what we're going for. (laughs)
1: Yeah, and there's nothing wrong there, but this does show the width and breadth of what beer can be. And so, if you can, and then if you get any of that trickle-down effect, and and they start talking about it, and it ends up more in those kind of programs, like the Sunday brunch kind of thing, yeah. where it gets talked about a bit more, and these chefs then suddenly, they're not pairing it with a wine, they're pairing it with a, a beer. Even just mentioning the word beer will get people's attention. Mm-hmm, yeah.
2: it, I mean, when you mention, when somebody says beer, it does elicit certain connotations in everybody, doesn't it? Mm. But it doesn't necessarily necessitate Burning Sky 5th Birthday Cuvée in that kind of setting. No. Definitely. I do,
1: you know, no. <laughs> This yeah. this doesn't. This is not what people would class as. A lot of people outside of maybe the space we, we operate in and exist in and live in, this isn't going to be a beer to them. No. They'd be, the closest they'd say, so it's a, bit, a bit cidery.
0: I would say cidery, yeah. yeah. If, 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 if you gave this to somebody that didn't know what it was, they'd, they'd probably go, oh, that's a cider.
1: What yeah. sort of cider, is it? Yeah. And if they're actually quite interested in cider pro- and they said, I didn't like beer, but they quite like cider, I would go to something like this. Burning has got to be one of my... Here you go, try that then. <laughs> see what you think. Yeah. No, I think it's, it's a great idea.
0: It is. It is. And it's... Um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how, I,
2: I suppose, that relationship develops yeah. uh, over the coming years. I, mean, and I suppose the thing we'd like to do next year is actually make it really obvious to the people that are there of what pairings are possible. So could we pair that uh, dams and saison that we just had with oysters? That That's a combination that works really great. Could we pair you know, some of the darker beers down here with some of the desserts that they don't offer, cheese, you know, let's actually put it on the bar and make it really obvious that this pairs with this, this pairs yeah. with this. All oh, beer goes with cheese,
1: as far as I'm concerned. I think all beer goes with cheese, <laughs> but I think some of, the, some of those darker beers that are on there, like, said, the Baltic Trader, the City of and Tiramisu, yeah, you, or you could have them, say, with a vanilla cheesecake or, you know, something like that, but some of those would go really well. Uh, yeah. And even some of these, the, the funkier ones. Would work with some of the cheeses as well. Yeah. No, I think I think anything like that, it can't be a bad thing. Uh,
0: let's let's crack on then. So wh- while we enjoy this beer, um, we're going to get into uh, since since you've taken up the, the the post, James. It's probably fair to say you've been quite active. I think on on, on Twitter, which Thanks. is which is probably where where we first came came across yep. you and, and and approached you, and um, I've got kind of a list of what I've called. Seba's um, big hits since Alden,
2: August. We're or, Not quite on gold or platinum disc just yet. No, but, you know, but,
0: but it, it's it, or it might be more James's hit list since he, he, he started. And I just want to go through some of the things that, uh, that I think have stood out more than, than anything else, really, in terms of you really nailing a flag to, to, to some of the things that have come up in in the past few months. So, sure. um, first of all, one one of the things that you you first mentioned when when you took up the post was. Um, Delivering for brewers, which is new membership benefits that you're looking at for for your members. So this includes things like comprehensive labeling for um, cast, keg, bottle and can, a guide, so so that people know how to label. Um, Siba being better at fighting for breweries and supporting businesses. And the HACCP tool, HACCP, HACCP which is traceability tool uh, and detailed health and safety, which you previously charged at uh, fifty pounds for each of those, and now is available to all of your members for free of charge. So, so that was one of the first big things that that, that you kind kind of came out with.
2: Yep.
0: What, what is it? Tell us. T- t- tell you know. T- tell us to our listeners. What, what what does that mean to
2: to to, to, to brewers that? a uh, uh, seed members sure so so I guess the background to this is well twofold. one it's becoming increasingly difficult to run a brewery business and run a brewery business profitably. It's so competitive out there it's so difficult out there there are things that are happening in the marketplace which shouldn't be happening, um, which I'm sure we can go into more detail on. So SIBA, as I mentioned in the, the kind of opening to this this podcast, Siba really needs to be delivering for brewers. It needs to be delivering genuine tangible benefits that make a difference to people's bottom lines. So take the comprehensive labeling guide, for example. If you're doing a re- redesign of your bottles, that could cost you a couple of hundred quid, maybe a thousand quid or more to employ a consultant and to, to make sure that everything is up to spec and legal and uh, is going through trading standards and everything it needs to be. By Siba publishing a comprehensive labeling guide, It helps brewers shave those costs down and gives them a resource that they can use. Um, Every month for the next 12 months, I want Ciba to be delivering one new thing. Um, And this is a. a One one a month? One a month. It's an ambitious target. It is an ambitious target. I think we we kind of need to be. Um, Because Ciba has got a couple of things wrong in the past and probably hasn't been doing as good a job as it possibly could be. It's always tempting, you know, as a new chief exec to come in and try and sweep things away but and change the strategy and do loads of new things. But actually, what it's about as a trade association is getting the basics right. Like I said, it's about fighting on the issues that really matter. Small brewers, relief, deposit, return, and delivering real value. So, you know, one of the things that I'm looking at at the moment is, and I'm having a couple of meetings tomorrow, could we do joint purchase for CB members on insurance? Could we look at, you know, vehicles, fleet insurance, invoice insurance, contents, um, if we can get, you know, if we can shave percentage points off of those things, then it all adds up to the bottom line and it all helps our members deliver great beer like this Burning Sky 5th Birthday Cuvée uh, in, in a way that gets to more people. Um, it's hard running a brewery out there. And, you know, if there are any brewers listening to this podcast, I just want to really make the point that come and speak to me, come and email me. I want your ideas on things that are going to make a difference to the bottom line of your business because we really care and I do want to make a difference.
1: That's fair enough. Yeah. I mean, and also, you know, the traceability tool and the health and safety tool, anything for free. Yeah. Again,
2: I mean, they, they cost us money to develop, um, but we kind of thought the, the take up of them is not uh, as good as we would potentially like. But again, they are things that brewers care about. They care about their health and safety. Um, there's another tool that's also free on the toolbox at the moment. Siba's toolboxes are kind of like members' paywall mm-hmm. thing. Uh, the other tool that we've got going at the moment is your costs tool cost wrangling tool. So if your insurance is getting out of hand or you're paying a bit too much for your hops, use that tool and work out baseline against your competitors what is going on. Again, anything like that, that makes a difference to the bottom line and makes a difference to the brewers being able to pay their staff and put food on the table at the end of every month, all of it makes a difference.
1: And do you think all of your members are aware, and this may seem a silly question, no, are no. aware of this toolbox,
2: this dashboard that is available to them as members? Communication is always the thing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> I go to regional meetings around the country. I, I, you get you know a room full of 30, 40 brewers. We've got eight regions across the UK, and I try and get out to as many of those and as many of our competitions as I possibly can. And somebody says to me, oh, you know, we need a seal like they've got in the US that, that shows that we're independent. And I tell them, well, ours is actually older than the US Brewers Association's one. Naming the communications and that getting that communications right is so important. Um, because like any other business people, brewers have only got a finite amount of time that yeah. they may be looking at Twitter yeah. or looking at their phones. So just being really, really crystal, crystal clear, Siva explaining, okay, what do you need to know this week? What do you need to understand that we are promoting this week that's going to help you?
1: Going on from that with your, your big hits, we need like the top 10 countdown music, don't we, that they used to have. Open letter to Tim Martin of yeah. Spoons. Now, um, I think mo- a lot of people will have read your letter um, I personally didn't see Tim Martin's response, but could you, for the benefit of the listeners, just remind us what prompted you to write the open letter, and, and, and how did Tim Martin come back to you?
2: What prompted me was, well, twofold really. One, I thought that promotion uh, around thirty nine a pint was kind of sending the wrong message, but also lots of my members and lots of board members, uh, so to give the background, SIBA are a representative democracy. So we've got 24 uh, brewers who sit on our board from eight different regions. And a lot of them were telling me as well, you need to do something about this. Kind of it, regardless of the politics, as it is as it sent in the letter, I, I don't take a view and can't take a view on, on Brexit. But regardless of the politics and regardless of Tim's politics, kind of creating the assumption that a pint of beer could be sold as cheaply as £1.39 in perpetuity... Um, was dangerous. It's, it sent the wrong kind of message because that's impossible um, for small brewers. It's impossible to do. Tim's response um, was quite, you know, straightforward. It was quite nice. It was, you know, this is only a small promotion. It's only in a small number of our pubs. We do pay. I do record it now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But
1: that will still that one pound thirty nine will be out there.
2: Yeah, it's out there and it's in people's minds. And yes, SIBA members' beer is being sold for two pound fifteen a pint and upwards. But in my view, Weatherspoon's still don't pay a fair price to brewers. Um, I get complaints from all sorts of companies, from brewers about their pricing, um, but you know, Weatherspoon's are one that, that kind of features. I did also get a nice text message from Tim, and I saw him at a Tory party conference uh, in person and you know, had a little, chat with him. I a little chat with him there. But I think there's more to do. I think we, I, as I said in my letter, should be going to see Tim Martin quite soon with a bunch of, or a small group of independent brewers who sell to Weatherspoon's. Um, and having that conversation. It is also worth saying for your, for your listeners, you know, Wetherspoons, you know, for all their, for everything kind of put together, they are big supporters of the cast category. Um, my members do sell a lot of beer to Wetherspoons and whilst margins may be tight in some cases, uh, in a lot of cases, um, more often than not, you will get a quality pint of independent beer from a Wetherspoons pub. I certainly have, you know, whenever I go into a Wetherspoons, I'm in one probably once a week. It's always good. The, the next one, James, was um,
0: around mandatory energy values. So this was a uh, European brewers sign in to formally commit to label all beer cans and bottles of ingredient lists and energy values by 2022, um, which you openly stated that Siba um, weren't involved or consulted no. on, on, on this uh, and listing, listing mandatory energy values on all cans is a big job for small brewers, hugely costly, and won't make much of a difference in my view. So. Has, has that moved on at all? That discussion? Yeah, it's
2: moved on a little bit. Um, so uh, Shane Swindells, big thanks to Shane. He he runs the Cheshire Brew House. He went out to Brussels last week uh, with my new head of public affairs a guy called Barry Watts, and they sat down with the brewers of Europe and they sat down with Eurocare, which is a, a kind of group of organisation health focused organisations across Europe, and they were banging the drum on this particular issue. The, the reason, just to explain to your listeners why we weren't consulted, so. Uh, a European level there's an organisation called the Brewers of Europe and um, they as part of their membership criteria they can only accept one organisation from each member state so in the UK it's the BBPA which mm-hmm. represents bigger brewers and pubcos as I said earlier um, so we just simply don't have a seat at the table when when the Brewers of Europe um, kind of sign up to these these different missives and uh, memorandums of understanding. So, so
0: it wasn't that you was purposely left out of the discussion, it was no. just that
2: there wasn't the seat no, at the table they, for they, you. They just, they just happen yeah. outside of kind of our sphere of influence. So, so we're in Brussels on a fairly regular basis. We continue to be, and we continue to think it's important to be because we don't know what's going to happen politically. Um, but, but kind of part of the response to this, and this probably happened 18 months ago. Because we didn't have a seat at the table with the brewers of Europe, we created our own organisation with 18 different European countries uh, and the independent, so the the SIBA versions in those different countries. And it does what it says on the tin, we called it the Independent Brewers of Europe to kind of serve that purpose. But to get back to the the issue at hand, I mean, putting mandatory energy values and calorie counts uh, is is not so much of a problem if you're a global brewer because everything they brew across Europe is the same. But if you're a small brewer, as it, as you referred to, you know, it's hugely costly because you're running more lines, more SKUs. You don't necessarily have a, a lab to be able to analyze this kind of stuff. Um, if you're putting fruit in beer, as we had with that damson and Saison earlier, the calorific content and the the chemistry of that beer will change over time as that, that fruit ferments out. So it's kind of impossible to put a figure. Um, any changes like this that are done and decided upon a macro level, um, have a disproportionate impact on the small guys.
1: So when you say um, that mandatory, so, but no one's obliged to follow this, presumably. So this is only a memorandum of understanding between X amount of big, bigger corporations. Surely for the smaller, play, you can just ignore it.
2: So that it, again, it's the, it's the perception that's created. So. The, the, the MOU as I remember and as I understand it was voluntarily signing them all up to, to commit to this by 2022 but that creates the impression at a European level and at a legislative level that we should be voluntarily doing it as well yes more information in the hands of more consumers is a good thing but if that comes at a huge disproportionate cost um, and as I say isn't going to make much of a difference to consumer behaviour or give the consumers any more information that they really need then there's not much point in doing it
1: yeah, because it's a bit of an average. So for calories, 4Pure have always put calorie count on there. I can't think of many others that do it on a regular basis anyway.
2: No, it's not
1: something that i see on a lot. Yeah, on the old 4Pure design, it was along like the side of the can vertically, wasn't mm. it? Um, and you know, there's, there's a bit of an, you can do easily do like an average. Like, you know, If you go onto Google, you can easily get a bit of an average for a, a 5% and I know when um, I've seen MyFitnessPal it has like Heineken and Punk IPA in there. And that's like, I percent which is 5% or 5.6. You can almost sort of average out the calorie thing. I'd agree with you. Information would be great. Mm. I'm all for extra information. We, you know, we've seen that with food labeling over the years, haven't we? But yeah, if it's gonna cost, if it's basically gonna put, be the difference between that brewery staying in business and going out, it would seem to be a bit ass about face, wouldn't it? Speaking about arse about face, then lobbying Parliament, <laughs> <laughs> and asses and, arse, and elbows. Um, yeah. So you mentioned in your intro about yourself, your personal history that um, this all this has been part of your career.
2: Yeah,
1: has been getting involved with uh, presenting and talking and trying to persuade uh, people in the corridors of power. As someone who heads up Seba now, so. What do you do? What, do you just rock up? Do you have to make appointments? How, how, does the, how does the mechanics work? And
2: is it useful? Well, at the moment, if you want to go to number 10, you can just walk in with a hoodie, I think. <laughs> maybe, you're, maybe that hasn't got through and it's the bubble that I live in. But no, I mean, you, you do have to make appointments. Um, lobbying is one of those things that's much misunderstood and it kind of has a bit of a, a, a bad reputation. Lobbying, for most people, is a bit of a dirty word. But for an organisation like Sebra, it's just being really, really clear to the people who are in those corridors of power what the reality on the ground is like. And these are, you know, these are MPs, these are policymakers, they're ministers, and they've got breweries in their own patch as well. So where we can help them understand what life is really like and the policy context that they're creating and how that impacts on day-to-day life and brewer's businesses, they need to understand that. And we have a right as a trade association to go and make that case. Just as we all, as constituents, have the right to go to our MP and petition them on whatever they need to be told about, be it you know bin collections or street lighting or whatever it is. And, and obviously, you said earlier
0: on that with the possible impending budget that you're, you're going to obviously be leading putting together a, a letter from all of the associations. Yes, um, that's that's obviously going to be quite a key focus for you in the in, in the next couple of weeks, isn't yeah. it?
2: I mean, funny enough, we always kind of say the same thing every year. It's always business rates and it's always the headline rate of duty. But yeah, I mean, we, we try and get that out to as many MPs as possible. And again, you know, to your listeners, you're, you're all constituents. Some of you will have businesses in MPs constituencies up and down the country. If you want to make a difference and if you really care about craft beer, um, get involved. Write to your MPs. Let them know what you really think. If you've heard a, a opinion on this podcast tonight or on a previous edition make your MP aware of that because that's the only way that we can make a difference and that's the only way that we can assure that government creates a policy environment which brewers can continue to work in. I
1: mean, it's, I, mean I think it's a good thing I think you are right though about the term lobbying um, and part of that is probably just because of we always hear in, from America yeah. the power of lobbyists yeah. and you know, I'm sure that all the corporations the world over have lobbyists with their interests at heart etc but we only ever hear the the negativity surrounding yep. it and the, you know the investments they make into you know the the political parties that, and how they do their advertising and, they, and all that kind of stuff so I can imagine it can be quite a tricky sell sometimes to people when you're saying when you mention the word lobby the straight away It's like oh okay
2: not not within parliament because they're, yeah, they're they they get how it isn't? works mm-hmm. yeah they used and, to it. and we're super transparent about everything that we do um, but your average man on the street, you say the word lobbying, like you say it, it has really negative connotations yeah, attached to it.
1: Definitely, I can say that
2: it does. Um, but you know, whilst the prime minister and the chancellor have got a lot on their their plates at the moment, as you can understand, where well, we can try and get that tiny little bit of airtime with them to explain, you know, these are the priorities of the independent craft beer sector. Everybody's fighting for that same amount of airtime, and they've only got like the rest of us—you know, twenty-four hours in every day. But we still have to fight. We still have to have brewers' voices heard in those places and by those people.
1: Hmm. No, it's, I think it's good work, and you know, anything which we can do to to make it easy. I mean, the, the amount of duty we, we we pay is just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, anything. It's just we when they even just stack it up, the usual picture is the number of coins or something, isn't it? It's like. Yeah. That's just ridiculous My, the amount of money i'm just giving away but it's such a cash cow for them
0: yeah i, I think it's, it's it's interesting what you say there in terms of the importance of talking to your local mp yeah. as 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 well and and getting them to to, to almost fight the calls on on your behalf yeah
2: as as, as well I mean, I mean there's nothing wrong with asking your your local mp to write a letter to a minister they do that all of the time
1: yeah yeah and like you say, there can't be any mps who don't have Breweries, pubs, tap rooms. These days, we've mapped all of this in their constituencies. <laughs> so you know, they're they they're, they're again. These are all voters, aren't they? They are.
2: They are. I mean, if you if, if you're listening to this podcast and you want to find out more about how you can write to your MP, email me or email Barry or anybody within the CIBA office, and we can help you out. We've got draft let- template letters for stuff. We can advise you on how to write it. We've got email addresses. Um, if you're interested in, you know. These are febrile, difficult political times um, for all of us. So get involved.
1: Fair enough. So, you
2: go. Yeah. Um, next up, the Portman Group.
0: Yeah. Um, obviously, in the last few weeks, uh, they've released the sixth edition of the guidelines, uh, which I think, a- again, you quite publicly said there's some important things in here that we sure. need to understand and need, need to be um, following. Um, where does... Where does the relationship sit between SEVA and the Portman Group? Is it, is it, is it, is it a comfortable one? Did yeah,
2: I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, <laughs> it's a working Com- relationship. It's a comfortable one. <laughs> it's a working relationship. I mean, it, you know, the Portman Group have to be praised for, for a lot of what they do, just as much as, as I will criticise them as well. The, the stuff that they've done on sexist, derogatory, offensive marketing is really, really important um, and really, really vital for the industry, I think. You know, we were talking about accessing a different set of consumers earlier. Yep. If you've got sexist pump clips and sexist labels, you're immediately excluding 50% of your potential market. So the work that the Portman Group done, have done there with SIBA and with Jager Wise from Wildcard Brewery in particular, a uh, big shout out to her, has been really, really important. So now you, you can't put uh, sexist derogatory uh, marketing on your, on your pump clips or, or cans or bottles. Now, there are criteria in place for kind of deciding where that line is but I think it was a really, really positive step forward. Just as that was positive, you know what the Portman Group have done on four units in a single serve, <laughs> we don't agree with, um, because if you're two people and you share a bottle of wine, you've had five units each. So targeting you know, Imperial stouts, double IPAs, porters, Belgian styles um, in that way to us didn't make sense a year ago, and it still doesn't make sense now.
1: Which is pretty much where we came to, and our listeners came to, and we spoke about it before. Yeah. It is. The bottle of wine, is, and that's always been my argument. A bottle of wine, you're starting at, these days, because both white and red wines are stronger than they used to be. You're looking at 12%, 13% for a white, and 14 maybe even 15% yeah. for, a, for a red sometimes. And like you say, there's the automatic thing that people are sharing it. Equally, people can have a bottle of wine to themselves.
2: People, like just as we are, we've shared, uh, you know, we've shared bottles of, of cuvee and of, of dams and Saison on this evening. Yeah. Um, you know, there are so many arguments and we, we continue to make those arguments. But at the moment, the code is the code and it's in place. And if there are any brewers out there that have complaints against, and I'm talking to your audience, sorry, I'm yeah. not But if there are any brewers out there that have complaints made against their beers on that four units rule, um, again, get in touch. We can help you. Um, we can give you some advice if you need it. Mm. That's well so,
0: is, is, that, is it an ongoing discussion with Portman now over that? Or, or are they, have they drawn a line under that and said, no, that's it? The, the or, code is
2: the code. Um, I mean, they did move during that process. So originally, it was a four unit hard stop. So you couldn't have anything more than four units. Now, uh, after the lobbying that we've done, it's basically there. Are, the hard stop is at six units but there are extra conditions in between four and six. So if you're a brewer, you need to be able to prove that you've put a sharing message on it. It's potentially a receivable bottle, so a swingy top. Um, you've advised on the CMO guidelines, chief medical officer guidelines, and you've advised on what an advised daily limit is. Um, so there are extra things that we're advising brewers to put on their bottles. Um, but, but fundamentally, you know, if the market were to lose MP you know, stouts and double IPAs, because they breach this this guideline, that's that's not good, is mm. it? No, it's criminal. Yeah, it's not. Good. <laughs> it's I can't imagine a world about imperial stout.
1: Don't, don't take stage, me there. Stay, stay. Okay. It's fine. You, you okay. wake up now. Wake up. I'm just going
0: to finish my there.
1: <laughs> Um, Tell us a bit more about because I don't know much about this. So the deposit return scheme, Oof. and this is just
2: in Scotland. Nope. So, funnily enough, I'm speaking to the government department tomorrow about this being introduced in England, Wales, Northern Ireland. Um, DRS is the kind of next big spectre on the horizon for the brewing industry. Um, on the face of it, it makes a lot of sense. So, the basic premise is, if you're a consumer, you buy you know, a bottle of water or a bottle of beer. So, if you buy a drinks container, you pay an extra 20p as a consumer, and then if you bring that back to a, a reverse vending machine, as they're called, or a shop that will take them over the counter, you then get your 20p back. And all of those containers, instead of going into landfill, get recycled. Makes a lot of sense. Really, really great idea. So this is what we used to in the 60s and 70s? Yeah. Is it's, it, and this similar to balls. what they do in Sweden? Yeah, And so, Germany as well. Yeah, so yeah. very similar to the yeah. PAN system uh, in Sweden uh, and Norway, and those so other kind of Scandi countries. So it makes a lot of sense from a consumer point of view. But when you start to pick away, there are costs involved that the brewers have to bear. So there are producer fees, there are setup fees, there's the adding the cost initially onto the bottle in the first place. So if you're the pack filler, if you're the brewer, you've got to add 20p on and then sell that down your line, uh, down the supply chain, but you might not get that 20p back for another couple of months time. So a huge amount of knocked your cash flow. Um, then there are all the kind of labeling requirements that are gonna be required. So in Scotland, you're gonna need a potentially a separate uh, barcode label or an RFID chip in some cases. How much do RFID chips cost each? And you multiply that, it's nuts. Absolutely crazy. Scotland are going ahead about two years ahead of um, England, Wales, Northern Ireland. So in that intervening period where Scotland have their own recycling system, what that means is if you're an English brewer or a Welsh brewer or a Northern Irish brewer, you, you basically would need to comply with the Scottish system, which you won't bother doing because it costs far too much. So it's Scottish consumers that pay the price because they will only be able to get beer that's brewed by somebody who is signed up and in the system. So maybe only the choice available to you in that two-year period would be tenants, you know? mm. So basically we're, we're talking to the Scottish Government, we're talking to DEFRA, um, we want one system, one unified system for the whole of the UK. We think that the scheme should start with plastic first because plastic bottles are those ones that are littered most frequently. Um, and we want a system that doesn't basically again burden small brewers out of business. The government, both in Scotland and uh, here, haven't really thought this through. Um, they haven't thought through the consequences on small business. They've only really been designing it in conjunction with those big guys.
1: Yeah, because when we used to um, run the off licence, I knew that if I saw a bottle of our whites, an empty bottle of our whites and an A, I could bring it back and get another 10p for that. But again, we're talking about the, you know, the, those days, we were only, the off-license on um, their ground only sold beers from big companies. Yeah. So those bottle schemes, which you did the, the the thing, this was something which they did anyway, and there wasn't other recycling options. So I, I think I agree. I, I, I agree with you. I like I like what they're trying to do. But yeah, again, if it means as a consumer I'm paying more on day one, yeah, I'll want to think twice about it sometimes, and for some independent craft beers that may be the difference between that price point which you're just about comfortable with and tipping it over especially if you're buying a few Yep.
2: Yeah. i mean to give you a specific example dave lanagan from ride bruco uh, just outside of, or just inside of glasgow he ran the numbers that the scottish government gave him and he said it would put him out of business just like that and um, it's, it's worth kind of adding on to this you know sustainability is a huge issue for all of us i've, I've walked through an extinction rebellion protest just to get here this evening, and Siba and Brewers generally I think across the board really really care about their, their environmental impact, but more often than not we lead the way you know if it's on reed bed technology or biodigesters or putting solar panels on the roof um, Brewers really are leading the way, but it, it needs to be done with industry not against industry yeah. to mm-hmm. industry you know. and also
1: they say if it's going to be the one rule which is going to harm sort of businesses we need now and may well definitely need in the future Yeah, but it's not it can't be the best way no sure
2: okay understand Just, that yeah. again <laughs> talking to our
1: listeners
2: yeah, yeah no carry on <laughs> yeah, party little broadcast here today. It, it is I'm sorry <laughs> I'm really sorry but, you know, this is a really valuable opportunity for Siva to to talk directly to Brewers because I know you have a lot of listeners from across the board but again look at this um, get involved speak to us um, and, and figure out what it will mean for your business and help us help us lobby the government to make sure that they get it right
1: what are your final thoughts on the cuvée before we get to the last last big Steve? Yeah, yeah,
0: we've got got a couple more things. Um, I really enjoyed it actually, um, considering it's not the sort of style that I you wouldn't, wouldn't normally, buy it. Would you? I, I wouldn't buy it. Um, although that being said, now having had a chance to try it, it might be one that should I see it come up again, I, I would certainly consider consider buying it. Um, yeah, it was just really really drinkable actually. And the, the flavours in it changed as it began to warm slightly in the glass as well. So it um, became a lot softer to, to, towards yeah. the, towards not the dissimilar, end.
1: Not dissimilar to the damson, which we had before then. Yeah. Um, but what I think, I mean, I mean Burning Sky are, have proven that we can match some of the big, some of the really good American brewers who do this kind of thing and have really gained a really good reputation for it. You know, for these kind of beers, I mean, Burning Sky is definitely one of the leading lights in the UK for doing this kind of thing, if not the leading light.
2: I'm so. not allowed to have favourites, but I think I've already given that away. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, James, um, talk to us about Small Brewers Relief,
2: because this, this is a big one for SIBA, for, for isn't it? This, this is absolutely enormous. So Small Brewers Relief uh, is a huge issue at the moment for SIBA and for, for all small brewers. Um established in 2002 it essentially is directly responsible for the beers that we're having tonight and um, SBR or progressive beer duty as it's known has been directly responsible for the explosion in craft beer over the last well over the last 10-15 okay. years um, in essence it enables small independent brewers to compete with the big boys introduced for three principal reasons so number one it was introduced to compensate for those lack of economies to scale so if you're a small brewer, it just simply costs more to make great beer than it does if you bring, you know, millions of hectolitres in one go. It was introduced to compensate for the lack of access to market, which we've already talked a little bit about this evening. And thirdly, it was introduced to make sure that there was diversity and quality in the UK beer market. It's been a huge success. There's no doubt that small brewers' relief is probably the most successful government policy of the kind of Blair Brown era. It's been bloody brilliant, quite frankly. Um, But it is being reviewed by government right now. So CBER's policy is really, really straightforward. Um, So within small brewers relief, there are are limits. uh, And the the way that the scheme is constructed, that if you reach 5,000 hectolitres of production, up to 5,000, you get 50% relief. So you pay 50% of what a a large brewer would. And the vast majority of small brewers uh, pay that 50%. But if you want to grow beyond 5000 that you have to go through basically, you have to climb a cliff edge. Uh, and if you grow to 10000 so if you double your size of production, it can actually be less profitable than if you'd stayed at half your size. And the tax system can't work in that way. You know, the, the tax system cannot be constructed in such a way that it penalizes rather than encourages growth. So Ciba want to see that cliff edge flattened. We want to make it easier for, for brewers to grow if they want to. Um, but that, that reform shouldn't come at the cost of any brewer below 5,000 hectolitres. So there are other campaign groups out there that are arguing that um, relief below 5,000 should be cut. So the amount of tax that small brewers pay should be significantly increased. Um, and there is no moral, political or econo- economic argument for doing that. It's absolutely nuts. Um, so reform above 5,000 is positive. But no brewers should lose any relief because if brewers lose relief, it means shutting breweries down.
1: Well, I think that message is, is nice and clear, so thank you very much. Alex. So I, 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 I knew about the, um, the bit up to the 5,000 hectolitres and I'd seen a few bits I think where it said about, but it's really it was really hard for me to quite quantify that once you go above a certain point, it's disproportionate. Yeah. The amount of tax relief you lose versus what you're producing and therefore yeah. earning and yes, like you say, is there, is there many other taxes which penalises growth? No. They can't be.
2: No, they can't be. <laughs> if, if you make more, you should make more money. Yeah,
1: but, uh, but then essentially if you encourage, if there's the right way of doing it, because no one's here saying no tax. No, sure. I'm not saying tax-free. I'm not saying you could be Amazon or Google or Facebook here. <laughs> you know, you're still paying your taxes. You're still contributing. Plus it gets taxed every step of the way as well. So it's not like, <laughs> you know, It's taxed, you know. When I pay in VAT, yeah. So they're doing well out of a a pint or a bottle or a can. So anything which we can do to convince those in power that there is there is more to be made by encouraging them to grow, than saying there's this artificial line and actually you shouldn't go over the four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine hectolitres.
2: And there are there are breweries at the moment that are. There's a clustering just below 5,000. Yeah, there's a few of them have actually said it, haven't they? Yeah, a few of them have said it publicly, that we don't want to grow, because if we do, then I'm worse off. Which is bonkers. Absolutely madness. It's interesting you mentioned the Amazon point, actually. So there there are brewers out there, so not the small of the small, kind of in that medium tier. But in that medium tier, there are brewers that pay more in beer duty than Amazon pays in corporation tax.
1: There you go, that is that is bonkers. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. Yeah. And yeah, we've had that awesome.
2: audited and fact-checked and all the rest. So yeah,
1: bonkers, that is. Yeah. Um, I've poured us another beer while yeah. you were so eloquent there. Um, let's say cheers, see what we think, and then I'll, uh, I'll okay, reveal okay. what
2: we've got. Cheers. cheers. Remind us what this is.
1: So, um, in addition to the beer, a couple of the few beers you've bought already, we, we had um, put Sean at Beer Central on the, a mission to get us some independent, Craft beers into a, into a bombproof case <laughs> and sent sent down to us, um, which he did. And one of the beers he chose was a Victorian Ruby Mild, um, and this comes from Ashover Brewery. Comes in at seven percent as well. Mm. So it I h- assume that's where the Victorian. It hides that well. Yeah, it does hide very well. But I assume that's where the Victorian element of the mild comes in. So I think the mild dropped off. I think mild now is generally. Accepted to be what? Let's four percent. Sometimes, isn't it?
0: Four percent. It's always quite strange when you see them. I would. I would. I would, have, I would have
1: just said this was like a strong ale or winter ale almost. I probably would have pitched it at a mild. No. But let's assume they've gone back to some old recipe books as well. But that's, that, see, this is this feels like the right kind of weather to be having this beer.
0: Yeah. It's. Um, it's a tasty job. There's lots of, um, there's some kind of toffee notes going on in that, mm. um, little hints of roast, a little bit of chocolate going on. Um, all balances out really yeah. nicely, that does. The labelling's
1: quite nice, actually, with the Autonomal Leaf yeah. on it as well.
0: It, it lends, like you say, it
1: lends itself to
2: this time yeah, of year, it's doesn't it? There's a very
1: seasonality about it, hasn't it? But yeah.
2: You know that golden coin in a, in a box of Quality Street? You're getting that?
1: Cool, oh, that's oh. specific. Blimey. What do you mean, the uh, toffee? Yeah.
2: But specifically yeah. that
1: yeah a little bit yeah maybe that lent themselves some inspiration maybe I'm just looking forward to Christmas you're looking forward <laughs> to Christmas and dipping into the quality street and ruining all your fillings <laughs> with the toffee yeah.
0: um, so the last one we've got um, on, on, on the big hits is obviously around independence yeah. which is which is what you're here for. Yep. Um, so you recently wrote an article for the Morning Advertiser um, in which essentially you were saying, cascade, cannibal, cannonball, it doesn't matter. The important things are quality, independence and the people behind the beer. Um, that's obviously setting out your stall, isn't it? Yeah. In, in terms of what SIBA are, uh, are hoping to achieve.
2: Do I need to say much more? I mean, yes, you know, the format does matter because there's still huge debates that rage around uh, the, the type of format and where it is and the percentages across CBA membership and all the rest. The, the, the format is important, but I think what does have to come first are getting the quality absolutely right, the fact that it's independent and that's what people really care about, and, and ultimately telling a story. If you're a small brewer that employs people locally and you've got a tap room and you are bang centre in your community, that, that has to matter. You know, That has to have a value... Above and beyond what Colesberg, Bev, Heineken, or Mawson course could deliver, surely, um, they say that, or well, one of them says that they're local, but they're not, are they? <laughs> not really, not. Yeah.
1: <laughs> when it has a tagline or headline, whichever is your preferred way of saying it, I think it says a lot in a very small in a very small amount of words. Yes. Yeah. Without no no doubt. You've given them basically the four dispense methods, <laughs> and you've you've lined up what is import what is important to Seba, the members. And, and to a lot of other people as well. Because mm-hmm. yeah. there are a lot of people who don't care about the dispense. They just want a quality no. beer. Yeah, A lot of people do care about the independence and people do care about the story.
2: Yeah. It, it was part of our craft beer report um, last year, so before I took the reins. But it, it, it's still very important. We, we polled UK consumers. Um, I think it was 1,000 or 2,000 consumers that we polled. And 98% of them said that craft beer has to come from a small independent brewery. Only 2% of oh, consumers, report, when asked, yeah. said that craft beer could come from a multinational.
1: Interesting. Doesn't yeah. that speak volumes? That does speak volumes. Like I said, I mean, it's a, it's a, if you were polling or campaigning, that says a lot in two sentences.
0: Mm. Well, we took that, and we, we used that for this week's question. Opinions,
1: opinions,
0: opinions, opinions. Opinions. Which was, is independence in beer important to you? Yes or no? That's, that's, that's what we were asking this week. So we had 596 votes, 70% of people said yes, 30% of people said no. And I've got to say, um, James, a lot of the discussion that we've already had very much lends lends itself to a lot of what people have said mm. Definitely. In, in terms of it's about quality it's it's about the price point it's it's yeah. about all these different there's things there's
1: lots of stuff came up in it and um, you know first of all thank you very much almost almost 600 votes there that's that's cracking there. that's, that's a good poll that's yeah. a good poll yeah. it gives it and some really good comments on here we we and we'll never be able to read them all out
0: no absolutely not but if you do want to if you do want to see all of the comments uh, there is a link in the show notes to the question you can click on that and you can read through all of the answers at your leisure if you want. So let's get into some of these. So first up we've got Joe Kru-chank, um at AB, very J- Joe, um, or oh, ABV, Average Joe. I don't know how, a- how you it, pronounce that is one. Is it like average
2: but with a B Aver- in
0: it? Yeah. A- yeah, yeah, possibly.
2: Yeah, I was, I was trying to get there. Average.
0: A- average Joe. Um, well done, Joe, for being the first person that's had someone talk about their name for that long on Roll, the show. Rather than, rather <laughs> than, rather than, the rather than what you said, yeah. But 100%, there's always been too many examples of big beer actively working against the interests of small and independent beer by the way of tied taps and pressure on legislation and government. Mm. They only care about money. Do you want me to start on that? Yeah, well, I (laughs) heard a mmm come from over there (laughs)
2: halfway through that, so I'm I'm guessing you've got a view on this. It
1: it, it, it lends itself to a few
2: bits we've already talked about, so. It it does. Go for it. There's a couple of different bits to break down in that. I mean, like anybody else, you know, the big guys have got lobbyists, we have lobbyists, we've only got me and Barry, Uh, but Barry is a great lobbyist and I'm alright, so we'll get by. Um, But. yes the big guys and their their associations are pushing government quite hard on a number of different areas i suppose the other big element of this is buyouts is that fair to say could we could we read into that and yeah. will there be further consolidation in the marketplace yeah probably I mean everybody's looking out for the next one I've, I've just led myself into a trap there you're going to ask me who I think is next I well, that, that say, w- but if
1: you, as you just lift, left us with an open goal I will ask that, I think. curious brew said something recently in the morning advertiser something similar they felt that oh, a big,
0: I, I listened to that podcast a that big too. brand
1: was going to go yeah. so do you have any views about either a big brand going or a big brand being being bought out or the next Merge minority set, so whichever one yeah. you want to use.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, we all hear the same rumours. We all look at Twitter. We all kind of uh, yes and no, but I, I couldn't possibly say at this point. Um, it's not within my position to. Um, but will there be further buyouts? Yes, I think so. You know, when you've got so-called disruptive investment units in in the big guys um, and in other places as well. You know, who would have thought that a you know, a family investment firm from Hong Kong would have bought one of the oldest and biggest brewers in the UK and their estate. It's crazy. didn't see that one coming. No. I didn't see Fuller's coming.
1: No, Fuller's didn't come but You could see the, the company who bought it were at least linked to the industry. Yeah. <laughs> the Hong Kong businessman one, and, he, and the guy at the very top bought 91, isn't he, or something?
2: Yeah. Uh, that's just as much about the value of the pound and about getting money out of Hong Kong at the moment, isn't well, it? Well, yes. <laughs> uh,
1: there's plenty of reasons, but it was still a bit of a shock. So yeah, there, yeah. I think there are Many, many bits there, isn't there? Um, From John at Beer in the Suburb, definitely a regular contributor. Um, Yes, as it is in other areas of my life, I'm not really preachy about it, and I'm not saying that I don't buy things from large companies or brands, but if I have the opportunity to support small producers, particularly local ones, I would prefer to do that most of the time. So I think that caveat came through on a few comments actually, it, didn't it?
0: Yeah, and I think I think that's probably the same for most of us, isn't it? We, we all want to support local, however, however we can, but actually sometimes necessity, convenience, price, mm. simply doesn't allow you to do that.
1: So, and so with some things it's almost impossible. Utilities, for example. We spend a lot of money on our utilities, but they're not small local independent companies. Um, I, I I I would I mean while we're talking about I, think, I, I would love to be able to do a lot more of that independent stuff so maybe that'd be going to a local butcher's but yeah. where I am now totally. there isn't a local butcher yeah so I actually would have to travel which I that isn't my thing to just get in the car and travel five miles to go and get something because then I'm also thinking about the green element of doing that but you know it's, it's, it swings and roundabouts if I go past somewhere more lovely. Like you say, sometimes you don't always get the opportunity. And if we're specifically talking about beer, I would love to be able to get all my all my beers from the locals, all from independents, across the country or other places. The price point, um, you know, again, I'm gonna add the caveat you added earlier about the Michelin thing. You know, my background wasn't necessarily money, but I feel I'm in a comfortable stage in my life where if I decide that that's the luxury item I want to have, I feel I can get it. That isn't the same for everyone either. Yeah, sure. um, but, equally, where I work, I I am fairly much tied to big companies. It is incredibly difficult mm-hmm. near where I work if I'm going out with a couple of friends or as a group from work to stick to independent.
2: Yeah. I mean, I should I should say I I met my wife in the pub directly opposite from a, from where we're currently filming this in a, in a clandestine location. So I know this area pretty well. I used to, I used to work around the corner and and like I say, yeah, it, it, the the choice and availability of independent beers in this bit of the city of London isn't particularly great. You've got to go to somewhere and hunt it out.
1: Basically. Yes. Yeah, you've got to look for it. Yeah. You and you've got to spend a bit of time looking for it. And with the best one in the world, all of your colleagues and friends are we're going to share that particular passion for doing it. And sometimes, you know, the majority trumps the minority, and also, you know, you're maybe on a limited time time spell as well. So,
2: but playing, playing the devil's advocate, you know, a lot of people want that consistency, that reliability of a neck oil or a Camden House. You know, yeah. I, occasionally, you know, I'm, I'm not prejudiced if I if I'm in a place and I want a beer and I I don't trust what else is there, which is another problem we can talk about. I will go for that instead.
1: Well, because you know what generally what's going to be delivered, don't you? Exactly. That's I mean that's an interesting point as well, isn't yeah. it? But we do know so. Tom Gleason, Gleason at Rath McCann. Yes, but quality matters more. I think that links in quite nicely yeah. to what you you just said there, James. One hundred percent independent, average beer or top class, sixty-six percent macro owned. I have to drink it and pay, so no contest. And we had similar content, comments from Joshua Hales at Joshua Hales, Guy Miller at. The brew guy, Stu Chant at Chant Stu, and Gary at Work Worktop Driver. So I think that that's no, also a
0: popular one. This one
1: that was a that was a very similar type yeah. of comment, wasn't it? And and pretty much what you'd already said. But there are times when you go somewhere, you may want let let's say that that offering you were talking about, which may not be so good, was a cask offering. You can trust it, but you see a neck or a Camden Hales and keg, and you're thinking, okay that's probably going to be exactly as I expect it to be. Yeah. Mm. yeah,
0: yeah. Well, let's let, let's take that back to the previous show that we did, where, where we were talking about, and particularly talking about Essex breweries on, on, on the whole, um, largely 100% independent in, in, in Essex. Yeah. Yep. Largely producing very average beer that maybe we wouldn't always want to drink. So yep. sometimes it's a challenge when you see... Uh, an, an average beer on a, on, on a bar and you see the, the good one next to it that you know you know what you're going to get Can from the, the good or one
1: the classic default option that we've mentioned more than once before a pint of Guinness please sir from James at James Moosh i do that mouche Uh yes to an extent I buy macro beer I buy crafts that sold to big beers so I'm not evangelical about indies and I don't think that indie automatically means good beer but all things being equal I will tend towards independent brewers
2: yeah, I think that's fair. Yes.
1: And it's a very pragmatic response. Yeah. And probably similar to our thinking, really. And well, again,
0: we've, we've, we've already said it. If, if, if we're able to, we're, we're going to want to buy from an independent brewer. Hmm. We're going to want to buy from an independent shop. Circumstances, geography, don't always lend yourselves to, to, to being
2: able to do that. The, the buyouts point, I don't know why this question reminded me of it, but it, it's an interesting one. We, we had a debate at um, BRX Uh, which is our big conference last year, and we had Dan Lowe from Portbill, who you mentioned earlier, who was on the panel. And one point that was raised by the audience was, well, your beer used to be independent. It's not independent anymore, but it's still made by the same people in Bermondsey in the same place. So should it make a difference to me as a consumer? And it is just simply who owns the shares, uh, you know, an integral component of the enjoyment of that beer. It was a really interesting point. Um, but I'm not sure if I have a view on it. I mean,
1: it's a, it's a tough one, especially for people. I mean, I've, I've, a lot of people aren't necessarily bothered about 4 pure. I've always really liked it. And as the taproom experience, I've always enjoyed down there as well. And that taproom is, you know, obviously getting bigger now, smarter. They're doing a lot down there. I think they're trying to buy the whole estate as far as I can work out. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a different thing. But I have always enjoyed my 4 pure experiences. And I will still pick up a can of Four Pure because sometimes it's a very good train beer as well. And I know, I know the beers; they, they are pretty consistent, yeah. As well. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I suppose that's the same with Magic Rock as well. Mm. It's the same people. It's same still place. in Huddersfield. A lot of the beers which they were producing before are being produced now. So do you, yeah, but some people will actively just stop, won't they?
2: And if you get a kind of ultra or neo human cannibal, it's still going to be more than four units, I think. Yeah. So.
1: Yes, so you he's can't gone it. Yes, you definitely can't retweet it. But to be fair, we've never tried either, Steve. That's true. I mean, why would you want to? <laughs> exactly. That would be yeah. a rubbish can of all run, wouldn't it? Yeah. We'll have a little sip and then put it away for later. <laughs>
0: Uh, Next two comments are again quite similar, continuing on that sort of vein. So Joe Hill at Multiplex Rant voted yes as it does matter to me in beer more than any other areas of life because of the insidious behaviour of global mega brewers, especially ABI and Heineken. I also like to support smaller businesses who really do the job well where I can. And the Toy House Brewery, at Toy House Brewery, voted yes, important but not imperative. I don't shun multinationals but like to support small and or local. Independence, in my view, leads to innovation and diversity but also, um, but also understand the difficulty in raising capital and therefore don't criticise those who sell out. Mm. So again, people saying yes, they want to live the independent life but they can understand that it's for a multitude of reasons not always possible.
2: No. Some stats here might be interesting. Can I chuck some stats Yeah. In? Oh, we love oh, a stat. Yeah, we, love stats. We, we never provide any. No, no so we, we, have we got, do yeah.
0: have a statistician that does stuff for us <laughs> yeah.
2: voluntarily. The official Hopinions. Hop yes. yes. Yeah. Stato. Um, so, four brewers, AB & Biv, Heineken, Molson Coors, Carlsberg. They have about 88, 89% of the UK beer market. The beer that we're interested in as independent, and your listeners probably are as well, is probably only about six or seven percent. So of the 1,500 brewers, small independent brewers, you know, some estimates say that there are 2,000, but how many of them are actually just non-brewing licenses with HMRC? But say there's about 1,500 professional, small independent brewing businesses, they've only got about six or 7%. So you've got four with 88, and you've got 1,500 with six or seven you know, Brewdog, Camden, Beavertown probably make about a percentage each and then the difference in between is made up by the sort of historical family brewers. Um, I mentioned that specifically because it mentions the, the big multinationals and the kind of, the, you know, I, I can't necessarily comment on that but there is room for us to play. You know, if, if 88% of the market is controlled by four mega brewers, the only place that we as small independent brewers can go is into that 88 there's more than enough room for us to play. If if the trend within the marketplace is people drinking less, drinking less, often, but they should be drinking better, and that can only be in our little bit of the market. We should start fighting amongst ourselves and start realizing that the real kind of the real place for us to grow into and the real threat, if you like, um, is that eighty-eight percent owned by the big global four.
1: That's a similar message to James Watt said for Brewdog, isn't it? That it's you know although brew dog are recognized in the space but we operate the bubble we're in perhaps as being a big brewer now tap rooms beers everywhere supermarkets planes trains automobiles but they are still a percentage point of the overall market and but they are always looking to get into that 87 yeah. percent that's run and owned by four yeah. brewers and they've, they've they've had that message before as well. Yeah, that's definitely been a message that they've said. That's the space they're aiming at.
2: Absolutely, everybody's fighting for the same bit of a dwindling beer market. The, the difference with you know with James and Brewdog is that they've got one corporate strategy, whereas my members have got eight hundred and a bit more corporate strategies, or if any strategy at all.
1: That's know. true. They should all get together go on a, <laughs> and and have beer on a plane. Brilliant new idea. <laughs> Um, this I quite like this comment from Ron uh, Ronnie Bean at Ronnie Bean yes because the independence is where innovation and experimentation happens
2: we've experienced that this evening haven't we? yeah, yeah without but a doubt, yeah. it was
1: one of the few times that sort of comment really stood out on, on people's feelings about independence and stuff so I thought that, that was interesting yeah um, from from Clayton at Clayfish and I'm not reading out his book Back to front, upside down, warped way of saying his name.
0: No, he's just the creative director of. He's been way too creative. Opinions,
1: yeah. Um, Yes, but it's not the most important thing. Flavor and consistent quality fill my fridge for everyday drinking. In brackets, all my current fridge fillers are independent. One-off beers, new to me breweries, etc., also have their place. But, (laughs) and I quote, "Fuck paying eight quid for a four forty milliliter can of sludgy shit." I That's wish he, I wish when Clayton, our creative director, does get involved, he'd get off that damn fence. I know
0: he always sits up there, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, we never really know what he's thinking. No, um, but I, it's, it's going to come as no surprise to anyone, but I agree with that. Of course, it doesn't because because you know we've 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 all been there in in, in terms of and, and this comes back to many of the the, the the comments that have already been made in terms of you've, you've got to make sure that your your product is quality at, at the same time as well and. Unfortunately, sometimes in, in the constant race for innovation,
1: quality is sometimes missed. Agreed. And that can then put people off.
0: Yeah. Can you I'm, I'm I'm only gonna spend eight quid on a can once and, and, and if it's if it's if it's bad, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go to that
1: brewery again for a long time. Yep. And if you do it'll be maybe when someone else has passed you some. Yeah. Rather than you Giving another eight quid for that one can.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I, I can understand
1: that and it, it can put people off, definitely.
2: I, I suppose my philosophy is try anything twice <laughs> because the first time around it may have been a canning issue or it may have been a one off or they used a contract. But this, that, should, the other. should
0: there be canning issues in this day and age?
2: Yeah, and there still are. Really?
0: No, but
1: should there be? Should there be? Yeah, should no. there be? No, there shouldn't be now. Um, and I would think twice about partying with money, but I'll do that with anything. Anything that lets me down, which I'll pay money for, it's hard to get me back.
0: Mm.
1: Apart from my train company, who consistently let me down, and Mm. I always return. (laughs) Well, you have no choice to. Well, there is that, exactly. It's it's,
0: it's the only way you can get to and from work. (laughs) Um, Next up, we've got from Sat at Satis. uh, Means nothing to me. Beer is what I want, not their business plans.
1: Again, definitely not on the fence there.
0: no very clear with, with the view there <laughs> um, JT at Alan Metal doesn't bother me if I can get Camden Neck Oil Lagunitas Blue Moon in a town centre pub it's a step up from Carlin, Turborg, etc.
1: Yeah, it'd be to the Blue Moon bit.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why he had to. Why did he have to mention Blue Moon?
1: <laughs> he lost me on that one when I read that.
0: I was, I was <laughs> there it, on the first. Three. But to be fair,
1: that's just personal preference. I've yeah. never been a massive fan but, of Blue Moon. But again,
0: name. that's the conversation that we've had this evening, isn't yeah. it? It yeah. is. It's, you know, the availability of things makes it, makes it difficult to always be
1: able to choose independent. Yeah. But going back to that conversation with Fuller's pubs. And then buying other pubs and estates and the Green King. That's quite a few thousand pubs now where it's gonna be harder to, to get the independent route to market, isn't it? We hope
2: not. We hope that Or potentially. We hope, yeah.
1: Potentially it could be it could become a problem. Yeah.
2: Now, I suppose from from the point of view of the consumer, if you're a craft beer lover, you're a bit of a risk taker. You know, you're willing to take that risk on something that you've never seen before for the the potential that the reward is gonna be really high. Whereas if you go for a beaver town or a Ruddles or a whatever then it's not so high because you know what the product is going to be.
1: Take a mm, risk. People again, I'll, I'll liken it to my own personal experience. The people I I go out with, sort of in the city and what I work with, they recognise now uh, Punk, Neck Oil, and Hells from yeah. Camden. Yeah. So all
2: great beers, by the way.
1: Yep. Yeah, which means then I don't have to go to the bar and order it myself because they say no, I'm not. I'm not asking for that or. No, what what, what one's that? That kind of thing. They know what it is now. That brand recognition as much as the beer is Mm. out there and I can actually say those couple of words and they'll get the beer that I was expecting. So people have started to recognise those ones because they are appearing on taps more. They're in more places. And yeah, if I'm out, rather than me having to try and think, do I want to go for so-and-so, this is so much easier. Look, just give me another pint of nickel, mate.
2: (laughs) Sometimes it's just easy. But sometimes, you know... Your your Colonel or your Ashover or your Burning Sky, they don't have those million, multi-million pound marketing budgets that those guys do to be able to generate that kind of brand, oh, brand yeah. emission. Oh yeah, and I completely agree.
1: Um, I mean, if I see Colonel in the pub, I'll just say that one with the brand label. Yeah, I won't even give them the name.
0: But let's 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 be honest. The beer that we're drinking right now, the Ashover, it's this is a properly tasty beer. Yeah, yeah. But look at that bottle. That's, that, that's, that's not going to attract a lot of people right now, is it? It's, it's a 500ml bottle. Yeah, it's a traditional... It's, it's got a very, very traditional label to, to it. And, and where, you know, yes, that is going to sell really well in, in, in some locations. And from what I understand from Sean, Ashover beers sell very, very well in Beer Central in Sheffield. I think they're quite local to Sheffield. I think they're from Barnsley, actually, Ashover. Um, but it's, it's a very, very traditional label. It's a traditional bottle and it's it's maybe not going to draw people in just by what it looks like.
1: I would agree with that and I think they're going to they struggle to get fridge space in a lot of the places I go to just because of the size of the bottle. Yeah. It takes up a lot of room as well. But while we're talking about the beer, we've, you know these are two milliliter bottles which we've pretty much done both of them between three of us. What do we think of it?
0: I've properly enjoyed it. It's um, it is it, it's 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 still got that toffee creaminess. to, yep. it, to, to it for me. No, it's not overpowering. It's is got it? a really soft finish, and I, I think I think James nailed it on the on the first sip. It, it drinks nowhere near the seven percent. It's it's you oh, would it's drink a dangerous. Way mild. below that, yeah.
1: It's a dangerous. It's a dangerous mild. At least usually when you're having a this on cask would ruin you oh, because yeah. I
0: don't even I don't you you'd go back. Probably for two or three pints of this, yep. without even thinking about it. Yeah,
1: especially in a pub like with the
2: season we're currently entering yeah. into, with the weather, and you could see a bit of that weather as well. I throw the question back: How many pubs would put a seven percent mild on you know, on cask? I, I can think of two in Essex. <laughs> I'm presuming you mean the old house, the
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. Victorian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd be the two. I think. Yeah. That, that, would, um, that would take a not, not many places
1: they. would, because again, perception. People will go, "I'm not having that." Yeah. I mean the perception always used to be if you were having Stella, you were going to have a fight by right the end of the evening. And Stella was my, Stella or Cronenberg were my two strong drinks when I was younger. And they were just over 5%. And here I am sharing a couple of bottles of 7% beer on a Monday night.
2: Life's yeah. not so bad, is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: from Granddad Greg, at Greg 1954, I voted yes because I like to support my local breweries. And in the main, they are good, but I still, in, I still enjoy the lights of Beaver Town. What I found interesting about a lot of the comments, and not just the ones we've read out, people put independent and local together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, they definitely went together. So it wasn't like... Those, those two are linked, aren't they? Yeah. In people's minds and perceptions, it's about independent and local. So it's not like you are saying, well, I'm in Essex, so I want independent, but I'm going to have independent from somewhere miles away. It became the local and independent together, didn't it? But definitely.
2: Is that why and Cause's campaign didn't really ring? <laughs> the, made, the made local thing—it's local if you're in Burton upon Trent, but you know, it's not not know. actually.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. quite possibly actually because people people are very aware of local now, aren't they? There is that local thing about a lot of produce these yeah. days. Uh, James Keatley at J Keatley 1892. This pretty much sums it up for me. I like buying independent beers from independent bottle shops to support small businesses. But I also buy craft beer from my local big Tesco as it's too expensive to just drink exclusively from a bottle shop. And that's an interesting point, isn't it? Mm. So you can buy your beer from an
2: independent brewery, but you're buying it from a big conglomerate. Or you get a little bit of what you really want, but actually most of what you drink is three for five quid. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, it comes back to, to, to the fridge fillers, doesn't it? It's, it's where, where do you go for those fridge fillers? You, you're gonna go, probably these days, you're gonna go to Tesco's, you're gonna go to, to, to Morrison's, Waitrose, any of the supermarkets that are doing really good beer at the moment. But the ones that aren't the fridge fillers, the beers that you're going to enjoy, you know, the ones that you're going to really, really look forward
2: to, they're going to probably come from an independent stock, shop. What I would say is, go to your local pub or go to your local taproom and buy them direct from the brewer, or go online and buy them direct from the brewer. If you want a fridge filler, it's what I do. I, I go to my three or four local breweries. If I, if I want to stock up for a little while and keep some in the garage, or keep some back, or if I'm having a party or whatever, you know... I've, I've got a birth, well, birthday coming up and fireworks and all that kind of stuff. We're entering that season. Buy direct from your local brewer. You so don't...
1: speaking of your birthday, have you got anything in mind for your big frio? Is there a beer <laughs> that you're going to have? <laughs> I knew this was going to come. <laughs>
2: uh, I've got two local breweries to me. I've got Brick Brewery uh, down in Peckham, Deptford, and Villages Brewery. So I'm, I'm quite fortunate that um, the council is kind enough to put fireworks on about a day away from when my birthday actually is for, for Guy Fawkes Night. So. It'll be about 40 people, 50 people. Get some local beers in, fill up my beer fridge, and just have a jolly nice time, really. That sounds good. Sounds amazing. Look forward to look forward to see, maybe
1: seeing a few of your tweets of your your birthday beers and your birthday celebrations. Don't tweet when you're out of office. <laughs> <laughs> you can just tweet as James rather than Siba James. Yeah. I,
0: don't, I don't think the two are. Um... No, no. (laughs) Um, The last one then, uh, from the brig at greyhound underscore one. I'm not really sure what the independence is as important as consistently brewing a cracking beer. We fear big breweries interfering
2: and there's a long history of that, but I'm optimistic for the future. I'm not sure I agree. I mean, I go back to that statistic earlier that, you know, when we polled consumers across the UK, 98% 98 said that craft beer has to come from a small and independent brewer. I think independence and localism is, is still incredibly important and will continue to be so for for a long time
0: absolutely I think it's a it's a case of sometimes it's purely about getting those beers to market as well isn't it if, if, if you're independent like I say, up, up until you said it I would never have thought of going to a local brewery and actually buying from them direct yeah would I, would, I, I, I literally Drive past one maybe two or three times a week, and have never taken the time to actually stop as I drive past the gates and go in and see if I can buy a case of their bits. Sure. Um,
2: and if you're putting a big pot, if you've got a wedding or a christening or a big birthday, or whatever, think about you know borrowing a um, a linda machine off them as well and getting a keg. Why not? Yeah. Well, again, just, just I've just never thought of
0: that. Absolutely, absolutely never thought of it. But go for it. And, and I'm sure I'm sure many of our listeners haven't either. I've just poured some very lively beer,
1: so talk amongst yourselves okay. while it calms down.
0: Fair enough. Um, well, while you're serving those beers, uh, I, I will just say that, obviously, um, it, it's been great getting all of those comments. And there's still an opportunity to get involved. If you want to get involved, use the hashtag opinions, and you may very well feature in this next part of the show. Let us know, write it down, let us know, write it down, let us know your thoughts and bittering lingerness, write it down. Uh, first up, Craft and Slice at Craft and Slice. Um, inspired by the recent Beer O'Clock Show opinions, our thoughts on the pint versus half pint pricing debate. Now, I knew this wasn't going to go away. Anytime any, soon. Anytime any soon. This one's going to rage on and on and on. Now, Craft and Slice did write a, a, a blog based on a poll and the discussion that, that, that we had around the cost of a half pint should be exactly half the price of a pint. Should be. I'm just underlining that. Is, that for, men, very, is that for men behaving badly? It very clear where we stand on that. <coughs> um, and there's obviously a link to that post in in the show notes. Um, I did say I was going to continue to drag this out over as many shows as I can, as I possibly can. James, where do you sit with um, how much should half a pint of beer cost? Half the price. Thank you very much.
1: There you go. Simply said, Simply said. to the point.
0: (laughs) No more needed (laughs) on on that one. Um, Sophie at SoBeerBlogger. Listen to this on route uh, to Manchester for IndyMan19. Great to hear the views on premiumisation, and I agree with some points raised. I'm happy to pay you for a beer's worth, cask or keg, and similar to what Matt Curtis said, there should be choices of beer at fair prices.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, the um came from the guest on the show. Do you have anything you'd like to add to that, James?
2: Well, in an ideal world, wouldn't it be lovely that we could all walk into a pub uh, and there'd be a choice from, you know, one pound thirty nine for a pint all the way up to 7 8, 9. but no pub like that exists, so you've got to choose in between the venues in the town or the village or wherever that you're in. Um, Premiumisation has to be the way that this market goes. Like I said earlier, if... if the market and if people are drinking less and they're drinking less often they should be drinking better we all as independent brewers and people who run pubs and people who are interested in this industry we all need to be thinking about ways in which we can premiumize the market and that was one of the key things that was talked about at the cask report uh, two or three weeks ago and um, one of the key messages that came out of that
1: well, I've, i i actually thought the uh, points raised by matt was quite good actually the fact that You go into a pub and generally their price point for cask is in a very narrow range. Yeah. So regardless of almost how many cask lines they have, they have like a price point for that range. So they don't necessarily, I think Craft Beer Co are a bit of an exception because they tend to do theirs by strength, their prices. But let's take them out of the equation. The local pub generally will only have maybe 10 or 20p difference between maybe their, their usual regular, what they class as their session house beer and maybe a few special ones which they've got in and they keep the price point very narrow. Yes, I think it would be ideal if you could, if they could put on what's the, what is considered to be premium cast beer and let's not talk about that, what the definition of that might be um, versus the one that you can just have again and again and is £3 or £3.50 a pint. Yeah. There's an option because less than a metre away there might be a couple of keg taps which are exactly that. Mm-hmm. You know the the the, the is an example. Well, we they did a, do. We, we have. did
0: have a comment actually from from Rich Taylor yeah. um, who who said, uh, "Good show, lads, and looking forward to getting some Leon C brewery at the pub soon." In reference to Cloudwater cask, we had four on, charged our standard prices. Regulars stayed happy. Craft drinkers were happy, and we were happy to take a small reduction in profit, and everyone was happy.
2: Hmm, interesting.
1: Which I think is great, and we know that it would have been. Served in excellent condition there as well. Um, But yeah, it would be still nice if that we can get to that point where you can have cask in one bit and you can have keg in another bit and everyone seems to be happy to go from cask at say three pound 50 to five pound. As a just an easy set of numbers. But if you suddenly had three beers on cask at three pound 50 and then suddenly one appeared at five pound and it was the same strength, for example, it's like, well, why am I paying for one pound 50 more? Whereas you'll quite happily go and buy the (laughs) keg.
2: I guess this is where my my previous comment about cask, keg, can, a bottle, it doesn't matter. Actually, it does matter because cask is obviously much more difficult to keep. It's much more difficult to get right. And craft keg, in inverted commas, still commands at the bar a premium price of 50, 60, 70p a pint more than what I would perceive to be an equivalent cask beer on that bar in terms of quality. So from from the marketeer's point of view, from the pub point of view, they can charge a higher price, make a, more of a margin on a craft keg product than they can on a cask product, but yet a cask product is still much more difficult to keep. People, and we as an industry need to recognise, and need to educate, the fact that cask, yes, is difficult, yes, it's finicky. In a lot of places, people have had a bad experience, but it is still, in the camera parlance, the pinnacle of the brewer's art, you
1: know. Yeah, mm. um, speaking of pinnacle of brewer's art, we don't know if the next beer that I've pulled is, it has calmed down a bit, it has settled. So should we give it a go?
2: Yes. I must admit, I've had a little cheeky taste in between there while we were talking then. <laughs> oh,
1: don't give revelations like that away. <laughs> so this is a uh, Blackjack West Coast IPA, unfiltered and unfined, and I think we'd agree from the beer in our glasses, it certainly looks like those two things. Um, this is 6.6%, so we've stepped down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, this really does feel like a West Coast IPA Designed for cask, yeah. This feels like a cask beer in a bottle.
0: I can see what you're saying. Yeah, I think it's um, the the, the way this has been presented would very much lend itself to a a, a, a cask style of this beer. Yeah, cask version. Yeah, it's not. Um, the the condition is fantastic in it, but it, it's not got that kind of real effervescence, the fizziness that I'd normally associate. No, with, feels with, like,
1: a, with a straight up West Coast IPA. Feels like relaying really in a bottle. Yeah, it does feel like as the the classification. So it's, it's wrong audience.
0: Yeah, it's that, that, that's that's camera. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Damn! I I and you're doing something wrong tonight. Do you guys think the big hop punch is coming through? So they've got Crystal, Yukon Cascade, and Columbus. Is that coming through as strongly as it might? Need I
1: think to be? the hops are there. I think it would probably actually come through more if it was on cask. Yeah. Like I said it feels like it, true. it feels like a, a cask beer, but they've decided to bottle. But I could be wrong, I've got no knowledge about this beer. It's another one that um, we've got from beer, we, We've bought from Beer Central. Sean has picked it. He's trying to pick a range of different beers from different places for us, from independent brewers. So he knows we're lovers of the West
0: Coast IPA style.
1: Yeah, so he, he, he's chucked it our way. Yeah, I think that would probably come through more in cask.
2: I think it is coming through. I think it's difficult to balance those four big guys, but you can yeah. you can taste individually all of them. They're all singing in harmony. Is it,
0: is it traditional West Coast for
2: me? I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it's got
0: elements of it. It's, but it's got some soft elements in there. It's got some stone fruits going on in there, and I think they've tried to do a West Coast IPA, maybe almost in a in, in a East Coast style, but without think, saying that. But I think by
1: having it unfiltered, unfined, it automatically lends that sort of softer mouthfeel as yeah. well.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a whole other podcast there. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. We're still we're still waiting for the uh, the, the, the big West versus East <laughs> show.
1: But, but we need someone else to come on and drink all that East stuff yeah we've
0: got to balance it out because we'd, we'd just be all over the West Coast
1: yeah. stuff Uh from James at Gammon Baron good show chaps nice to listen to it in one go whilst travelling to Manchester nice to hear Ian's pragmatic views too so that was Ian from Leon C regarding halves you're correct yes of course I am So that's why that comment's in the show.
0: Yep, and that's backed up by Neil Hayden at Neil Hayden 73 Excellent show, chaps. Particularly enjoyed the discussion around car spear. Some really valid points made. Also enjoyed Steve's robust defence of the price of halves.
1: Robust, read ranty. Well, (laughs)
0: everyone's agreed so
1: far. Uh, Enjoyed the last episode on Flight to Buenos Aires. I didn't realise we were talking for that much. (laughs) you can fly all the way to Argentina
0: I know it felt like most people were listening on the way to Manchester yeah so Ian Hayes
1: trumped everyone by saying Buenos Aires yeah he's gone to Argentina yeah and now recovering from red eye flight with Argentina craft beer in Buenos Aires splendid porter can recommend but he hasn't said what it is
0: no no me no
2: Um. (laughs) there is a brewery in Buenos Aires that is just honey beers they're worth checking out I sat next to him at a beer competition or the head brewer from that brewery Maybe get him on in your, one of your
1: future shows. Well, if he pays for us to go to Buenos Aires, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, I'm all over that one. Yeah, i all, all over that, that Yeah. Uh From John Moore at The Beer Idiot. Just finished the latest episode, and I couldn't agree more with the view on Tiny Rebel. I used to get excited about seeing their beers on a bar, but I think they've gone a bit too far with their use of adjuncts for my liking. I
0: have to agree somewhat. I, 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 they, they do seem to use a lot of adjuncts in their
2: beers. This is the Stay the, Puffs and the y- peanut yeah. butter jellies, and
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when they first brought those beers out, they were quite forward-thinking in their pastry stouts to give it a terminology. Yeah. They, they, they were quite there early on, weren't they? With doing that kind of stuff and quite open and upfront about it. So, but it happens a lot. And they, they, they use their in other beers as well now, don't they? Yes. Because some yeah. of the fruitier ones. Well,
0: pretty much the entire spectrum, almost. Um, so last up from Sean O'Reilly at Uncruelia who is the official statistician, number cruncher, whatever. <laughs> we do need to come up with an official title for Sean um, for the show. Um, he's uh, still doing his re-listen to all previous episodes he's now made it to opinions episode nine which was released on the 7th of november 2016 <laughs> um in which apparently i said and i quote i hope for the day that you see cannibal on shelves in the supermarket i don't think that will ever happen how times have changed
1: <laughs> Brilliant. is the point that sean made <laughs> um i didn't realize i actually ever said that but i can yeah, i can picture you saying it though because yeah that would be the dream for you living where you live and you've spoken about this before on the show, your limited opportunities for independence. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought that you could pop to a local supermarket, say Morris or Tesco's, and suddenly cannibal would be there, that was a dream.
0: And now I'm living the dream. Now you are living the dream, Steve. You can
1: go to one of those local places and you can clear them of cannibal.
2: I do find Sainsbury's to be the worst of the supermarkets. Yes. Yes, we, we agree. <laughs> I was in my local Sainsbury's on Saturday. And I was just, I was blown away by how rubbish it was. Yeah. Compared it, to what everyone else is doing. Yeah, it's completely yeah. ignored. But, but I don't understand, uh, forgive me, but I don't understand why they are also so behind their competitors. No. Surely they must have realised aisle number 11 in Lewisham, test, uh, Lewisham Sainsbury's is no good.
0: Well, we've we've had this discussion before because if you go back five, six years, Sainsbury's used to do the Great British Beer Hunt, which was a thing where they bought together It was like T2021 20, beers yeah it was like the the best of beer and at that time it was a lot of early craft beers as well yeah. into into the market and that they were leading the way in in terms of beer selection that died off and then they seemed to go then they just stopped oh well we <clears throat> just let's just sell macro beer
1: they just stopped yeah i i i'd agree i think even if you stack them up against some of the offerings that you can get from Lidl or Aldi, under, even under their own labels, they probably are matching or trumping Sainsbury's. And then compared to M&S, Tesco and Waitrose, Leads. light years, light years behind.
2: But, but Tesco, if I were going to give one I spoke to Dave Lewis, the outgoing boss of Tesco's a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago. About eight weeks ago, um, and I sort of said, you know, great craft beer offering, love what you're doing, love all of the social media that's happening, but simultaneously you've got beers that are sat on a warm shelf in a warm supermarket for a couple of weeks before they're being shifted. That's not good for them either.
0: Final thoughts on the Blackjack West Coast IPA?
1: Then I would love to try on cask. My final thoughts: I are, mean, it was, it was nice, um, but I would love to see what it was like as a cask beer because I, I feel that's how it's been designed. I, know, I take your point about the West Coast IPA, but I think if you take it as a cask version of a West Coast IPA, I think it would tick a lot of boxes.
0: I can I can see that. I can agree with that. James, anything
2: else, like earlier, else to add I, there? I think the, the big four hops that they use seem to balance really well, but but I agree with you. I, th- I think I'd like to try that on cask and see what it would be like.
1: Yeah. I think it would sing. Mm-hmm. so yeah So, um, yeah. You know, thank you, Sean, for pick, picking out some... A range of beers for us.
0: Absolutely, and we've got one, we've got
1: one more to try yes, as, well, as, as well. So we've uh, you know we started off with a kernel. It's
0: kind of bookending the show here, oh aren't no, we? It's, really? it's like we're
1: playing this shit, Steve. Um, <laughs> so we have. There's no evidence uh, of that from my seat. No. <laughs> so we've got the is it the London 1890 Export staff It in the kernel? is indeed,
0: yes. So it's a firm favourite. Yes, let's put that one out there already. Licorice, burnt caramel, dark chocolate, roasty, smoky. It's just everything. It's just delicious. Yeah. I can't really build on that, can I? (laughs) I'm glad.
1: (laughs) Sorry. So, what's up next?
0: Uh, We've got some some questions for for, for James from, from our listeners oh, okay. i the, these, these are obviously whenever we have a guest host on we always ask our listeners and Twitter for, for, for questions so just, just a couple of questions um, to ask you directly James so first up from Discomrobulated at Discomrobulated he's got two questions firstly uh, why does Siba have a negative rep- reputation amongst many smaller and craft breweries
2: and how are you addressing this? it's a great question um you know, I take this question to, to heart because it, it goes to the core of what Siba is about. Um, I think I need to be gracious to my predecessors. Um, I need to be gracious to what's happened previously. But I, I, I do think it's fair to say that Siba has made some mistakes in the past. Siba has, uh, and I don't want to comment on them specifically, I think your, your listeners will kind of know what I'm, I'm referring to, but Siba has focused far too much on being, I think, commercially minded. And yes, commercially minded, pays the bills at the end. But it hasn't been minded enough to think about the things which I'm passionate about, which is about fighting the good fight on the things that really matter and delivering real value in the areas that a trade association should be delivering real value. Um, All my team, you know, I've inherited a great team and they're they're a great credit to the organization. And this is by no means a a criticism of them. But SIBA as an organization needs to really work harder on those things Um, and I hope it's come across uh, in this podcast and what we're putting out so far that that we're going to be doing that um, over the the weeks and months and years ahead Um, it's tough times it's tough times out there for small brewers and Small brewers deserve and need an organisation that's going to do what it needs to do. Uh, and
0: um, the second question was, given the upscaling of affordable craft beer, I- i.e. in supermarkets, etc., and the continued closure rate of pubs, where does SIBA predict the beer industry to be in five, ten years? And where will people primarily be buying beer?
2: I think the split between on-trade and off-trade is only going to increase, so it was, what, two years ago that more people were buying more beer at home than they were in pubs. I think that's only going to accelerate further. Um, as we've kind of demonstrated tonight, we've talked a lot about bottled beers and what you can get at home. And we haven't talked so much about the experience of being in pubs. I think that's a great shame. Um, and I think the industry needs to do more to promote the virtues of sociable drinking in a regulated environment where the landlord's keeping an eye on you and you can actually have a chat with your mates rather than sit in front of Strictly Come Dancing or whatever it may be, uh, as, as pleasurable uh, as that may be. I, don't oh, get me did wrong. Did you ever choose the wrong? Don't get me wrong, remember, I, love, I love a Strictly Come Dancing, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Um, Show's cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there is no substitute for going down the pub with your mates, with your friends, your family, your partners, whatever, and, and having a beer in a sociable environment and, and kind of Fixing the world's problems and putting the world to rights. Am I wrong? I don't no, know.
1: I, I, I love having uh, sharing beers at home, with Michelle. But my great beery memories will usually, almost universally, be in a pub.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly, definitely. Uh, on the kind of predicting where the beer market might be in five or ten years' time, I'd like to see more breweries opening more tap rooms of their own, so a kind of direct route to market where. Breweries themselves are controlling what beer they're serving. They're controlling their own quality and getting it absolutely right. Um, I think that's one of the ways in which breweries can start to make a better margin on the beer that they're serving, rather than going through an intermediary or a wholesaler or selling to a pubco or even free trade. If you've got control over the entire distribution and the supply chain, it makes for a better experience and it makes for a better beer. Um, And that's ultimately what this is all about. But if I was going to try and predict where the beer market in five or ten years is going to be, I've given up trying to predict what politics is going to be like, so I've kind of given up on predictions Full stop.
1: Well, if we're talking five or ten years, and we were looking back, so in 2009, I'm not sure we could have predicted a lot of what's going on now. No, exactly. In the beer world. And equally, even five years ago, and we've spoken about it more than once, and going back to the comment from Sean, even three years ago... Steve said, "I don't think cannibal will ever end up in a supermarket." No. That's yeah. a prediction of sorts. Yeah, here, and here, and we, here are, we are, yeah. and it is most definitely in supermarkets. So, really good question. But I tell you point. I think we haven't really spoken much about the actual pub itself. I, I think it's a good point about breweries opening their own tap room as well. Yeah. The only thing about it is that a tap room will never ever quite feel like a pub. No. So. And because of the type of sites that breweries need it's not always going to be the most accessible venue as well. Mm. It may take a bit more planning. I, I question that.
2: I mean, I, I question the idea that I think a tap room can be a direct replacement for a pub in many circumstances. It, it does a lot of the same things. Um, it serves great beer. It serves great food. It creates a sense of community. Yes, there is a magic to a pub that, you know, is sort of intangible and difficult to put your finger on, but they're, they're different magics.
1: I think there's different magics, but I think that... The I love a quite happy to go to a good tap room more a, a lot of the time because you are perhaps guaranteed the beer. You if you like the brewery already, they're the only ones looking after it. Hopefully, you get the good one, but sometimes the inaccessibility doesn't help it either.
2: No, but as I said, I, I met my wife in the pub that's thirty feet from where we're sat <laughs> so, <laughs> across the road. Right, so There we go.
1: So, from Alex mamekin at alex.mc. Does Siba think it's a good thing that younger people are drinking less beer? Whilst encouraging moderation, does this suggest trouble for craft brewers in the future?
2: I think that young people drinking less beer less often should, again, mean that they're drinking better. I, I keep referring to that. I've mentioned that a couple of times tonight. But some of the statistics are, again, kind of a bit scary. So... Uh, in 2000 we we ran some polling and we we continue to run polling and see if the members have got access to this but we ran a poll in 2017 that asked uh, people how often do they drink beer and in 2017 32% of 18 to 24 year olds were drinking beer uh, once a week two years later in 2019 that had dropped to 17% so we saw a 31 to 17 drop in two years And, and for a brewery that's or for the brewing industry generally that's trying to inculcate and trying to develop its consumers for the next 20 or 30 years that's a really really scary statistic and um, a lot of that is obviously being driven by health pressure so you know millennials gen z gen y whatever you want to call them are much much more conscious about what they're putting into their bodies they're more conscious about going to the gym but my argument back to that is a lot of the science that's being pushed on young people isn't accurate you know the, the CMO guidelines were changed two or three years ago, and they were changed in a way which didn't really respect the science. And um, 14 units a week for men and women equally—that we could go into detail again. We could spend a whole hour talking about this length. Um, but the, the science which were the science which determined the CMO guidelines being set at 14 units a week was not rigorous, and it wasn't valid, and it ignored 40 years of research um, that said that you could actually be much more liberal in a small l sense than that per week and you could still be absolutely fine and um, I, I do think young people drinking less is a worry for small brewers but small brewers independent brewers need to adapt what they're doing so they need to produce more gluten-free more low alcohol um, and provide a great place more than anything it goes to the previous question um, young people don't necessarily just want to drink loads of beer and get smashed or have a great time they want to have a great time but they want to have it in a place and an environment and an experience which does that first and the beer helps second um ultimately we we as businesses and we as small independent brewers have got to adapt to what consumers want and if that's what they want then we need to change um but it is a big concern and i don't think anybody's got the answer yet um me least of all but You've you've
0: given some great evidence there, some great statistics to actually su- suggest what needs to happen.
1: Well, I mean, to be honest, it's borne out by my 19-year-old son because he doesn't drink. And the halls of residence he's moved into, their floor or their particular bit of the building, that's one of the ones which is you're either a moderate or no-alcohol drinker because like you get two preferences. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's almost like... Match.com or something. Yeah. So you put down your preferences and stuff, and that was all the preferences that they went for. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure there's plenty of halls which are doing exactly the opposite, so that's not a problem. But my experience, and the same with the, my stepdaughters, there's definitely less alcohol being drunk by them than I was doing at their age when I
2: started work. So to give you another one, so the slightly older age group, so between 25 and 34 year olds, in 2017. 26% uh, of that group were drinking more often than once a week and two years later that's dropped by 10% down to 16%. So in two years we've seen the proportion of people between 25 and 34 year uh, old drinking more often than once a week going down by
1: 10%. Okay well you're, we're not in that age bracket so it's down to you James to get those stats Well I'm up doing again. my best. <laughs> I can't do everything. Just by coming on the show? Yes, indeed. <laughs>
0: Uh, final question for you, James, uh, and this is from another James at Gammon Baron. What's the take-up on the Assured Independent British Craft Brewer campaign logo on bottles and cans? Is there any evidence to show the general public feel more reassured than they they are drinking small, independent and quality beer?
2: There's lots more work here to do. So, uh, as I kind of mentioned earlier, I think it was uh, off-mic off actually, the Assured British Independent Craft Brewer logo is a seal which we're aiming at consumers, and it demonstrates to them exactly what it says on the tin. If a brewer uh, has got this seal uh, on their cans, their bottles, or their pump clips, it demonstrates that they are independent, they are small, they are craft, and they're in your local community, more often than not. Um, The Americans have done, uh, the Brewers Association, have done their seal very successfully. It's called Seek the Seal, very, very similar. But Sebas is actually about a year older In terms of the take-up directly, um, about 30% of SIBA members use it. Um, The most recent, and probably one of the biggest in London and the southeast, was Gypsy Hill. Uh, They've put it on their entire refreshed range of cans and bottles, so big thanks to Sam and the team at Gypsy Hill for for taking that up. Um, Like I say, 30% of SIBA members use it, about 50 60% know what it is, Um, and then about 2 to 3 million consumers have seen it. Whether or not 2 to 3 million consumers recognise it and remember it um, is a different question, but there's a big push I think we need to do to, to bring all small independent brewers together to use that seal and to show consumers that it means something. Um, we've talked a lot tonight about Camden and Brixton and Beavertown, um, and they are not small and they are not independent. And if what we believe is true, that people really care about small and they care about independent, that we need to give them a way to recognise that Um and the only the only kind of horse in town really that does that is the the Ciber seal.
1: No, I, I think it's a nice initiative. but I do think there's def, as, as you said the opening sentence. There's more work to be done sure. to get that out there to become like a I don't know a kite mark for example. Yeah. So that people recognise it and they can use it and say, okay, someone else has already made sure it's small, independent, and probably local. I can trust that mark. I'm going to have that. Mm.
0: Well, it's interesting because I, I, I literally saw it for the first time re- recently on a can, which was on uh, the on a Roosters can, mm. which is the collab that they've recently done with, I think it's Odell, that's gone into Waitrose. Yeah. And, and it was the first time that I actually noticed it on a can. I was like, oh, hang on. And I don't know if that was because my awareness was up because obviously we were doing this show with, with you, James, and you know, I've been thinking all things Seba for a few weeks. Um, that I actually saw it there, but it's it's the first time that I've actually openly seen it on, on, on a can. It's this guy. So I, yeah. I, I have
2: a I have the sticker on the back of my laptop. So whenever I'm in a meeting, I can show people and, and kind of demonstrate it.
1: Almost get them over the head with it. Yes, yeah, so yeah. I, I, I thought he was <laughs> going to hit me with yeah, yeah. it. What's his, matter his you laptop. haven't seen before? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> no, there's, there's more work to do. Um, and watch this space. We've got some plans.
0: Okay, so um, one final question, and this is from me. Um, what, what's next for what, SIBA? What's, what's the next six months entail for you? What, what's, what's, what's coming up? What are the big things that you need to be focusing on?
2: That's a huge question. I mean, I'm only four months in the job. I think I need to be magnanimous and honest that I'm very young, um, and I'm in the job newly. So, it, like I said earlier, it's focusing on the, those basics. I think it's convincing government and Treasury that small brewers relief is a vital thing and it needs to be reformed positively. It's working on those benefits that we're going to be delivering to brewers um, over the next couple of months, things that are really going to make a difference to the bottom line. And it's improving communications, um, having that kind of personal touch on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, um, and putting a name to a face in many cases. This at the end of the day is a really sociable industry. And whenever I go to competitions or meetings or go to Indyman BeerCon Beer Con or London Craft Beer Festival or whatever it may be, um, the thing that brewers really recognise and they really value is a, a, a kind of face behind the name. Um, and that's the thing I want to change. Like I said earlier, I think brewers deserve and need an organisation like SIBA, but a SIBA that is performing and delivering on the things that they need to be delivering on. Um, that's my focus. Let's
0: let's finish up with final thoughts on the the Colonel Export Stout then. <laughs> Other than it's excellent, it and everything, excellent. You, everything you want to drink at the end of an evening. Yeah,
1: I mean, but what, what I will say is that the Victoria Ruby Mild we had earlier in about the same sort of ABV range compares very favourably with. Gives this. it a run for its money, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: yeah,
1: and, absolutely. But the two bottles side by side, I'd pick the Colonel every time.
0: So would I,
1: actually. Because I already know the kernel, so the other yeah. guys wouldn't. It's the 500 bottles, the traditional label. But the actual beer inside that, Victoria Mild, was really good and would have stood up really well to this if you were, if you were doing a judging of some kind. Yeah. You'd, you'd be hard-priced. If somebody, someone said you had to pick one or the other and it's a blind tasting, I think you'd, it would be a hard run. So, you know, kudos to the Victoria Ruby Mild. Equally, I knew this beer already and knew I was going to love it unless something had gone wrong.
2: Yeah, same here. I said this off mic, you you mentioned competitions, but open invite to you guys to come and judge at our competitions, both national and regional. I've got it on the record now, so it's true.
0: Excellent, (laughs) and uh, and we apologise to any breweries for what what we do to your beers and those uh, those judging.
1: Yeah, I apologise as well.
0: (laughs) Um, James, you've said a number of times that uh, people can get in touch if, if they want to talk to you. Are you happy to share your email address on, on, on air so people can get in touch if they want
2: to yep. carry on the conversation with you? It, it's on the website, so seabird.co.uk but my email address is quite simply james.colder and colder is c-a-l-d-e-r at seabird.co.uk Any thoughts, feedback, criticisms, rants? Uh, my grandma has a saying, you've got two ears and one mouth so use them in proportion. <laughs> Listen to us as much as you speak and that's I, I think that's really important for my job brilliant
1: mm. no thank you and thank yeah. you very
2: much for coming on the show yeah thanks James no, it's really been a pleasure thank your you it's been an honour cheers yeah, thank you speaker
1: shows what's coming up next so
0: uh, on the next show we are continuing um, what we are we're kind of now terming as our season Seabird Trilogy which was, was an unexpected turn of events it was yeah and and this was um, a guest that we haven't yet announced either we were still kind of firming things up but it's all confirmed now uh, on the next show we're going to be joined by Jager Wise from Wild Card Brewery Yep. Um, also a SIBA board member. Yep. And chairman of
2: London and the South East.
0: Yep. So we'll be talking we'll be continuing conversation about independence and SIBA and the importance of the organisation. We'll obviously be talking about Wildcard Brewery. Yep. And I think it's it's going to be very difficult to not talk about the influence of supermarkets on beer as well because obviously Wildcard now have a number of beers featuring quite exclusively Definitely. in Tesco. Definitely. And obviously
1: we've all put out as well on Twitter about questions as usual. Please get involved and ask us.
0: As with anything with the show, use the hashtag opinions and we will find it. Yep. Um, one more thing to say on, on tonight's show. Cheers.
1: I'll to, say cheers, although I have drained my glass. You, you have
2: drained
0: your oh. glass. Yes. Cheers.